Local recording. Yeah. All right. Local All right, recording. I got that going. Let me get the share. Don't forget local recording. It's on. Mark B with 15 bosses. And did you use the right to cover on the TPS report? All right. Let's see what happens. So I dropped the uh, bit rate to four, four, four K. Four K. Four K bits. That's what the cocoa had. Yep. Wow, it's still red yellow. Yeah. yeah. That really sucks. Let's try an intro. No, 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 no. Coco Talk would like to thank our patrons who sponsor our show, so our heartfelt gratitude goes out to Al Hartman, Alan Huffman, Alan Murphy, Amigos Retro Gaming, Blair Ledoux, Brendan Donahue, Brian Weasler, D. Bruce Moore, Davey Mitchell, Diego, Eric Canales, Glenn Hewlett, Graham Vebke, Grant Leedy, Henry Strickland, Jason Downs, Jenna Farron, Ken Riker, Kyle Etter, Malfunk, Michael Pitsley, Rick Eulin, Paul Fiscarelli, Paul Shoemaker, Paul Thayer, Bob Inman, Stephen Wagner, Steve Batson, Steve Rasmussen, Terry Steen, Terry Steggy, Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C, Tom S, Tim Lindner, Tom Heron, and Tony C. Thank you ever so much, patrons. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off-color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk. The world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Calore computer. It's time to drop your socks, grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. Welcome to Coco Talk episode 208, where apparently I have dial-up today. Don't worry, we'll upload the good one later. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. <laughs> Boy, this show's going to be more painful than usual for people to watch. <laughs> I didn't think that was possible, but you're right. It's going to be choppier so, than a, it's going to be choppier than a Guinness Two Knife commercial. It Jim is. Ryan, Jim Brain recommended a poke sixty five four ninety five comma zero. I think we need this sixty five four ninety seven at this point. Right. Mm. So thank you, Cox. 
So, so for those who are actually catching our catching our jerky video and, and audio here, uh, we're having some bandwidth issues. We're actually losing about three quarters of all the frames we're trying to transmit. So we're making a local recording. So if it turns out really bad on the live stream, we'll post it up afterwards from the local recording. So hopefully you guys can actually understand what we're saying if, if you really want to do that. But so hey, 20, at least we'll have the chat. 25% is good. <laughs> <laughs> we call this loss, lossy compression. That's what we call it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Panel introductions. Uh, all right. Well, let's stop and or uh, yeah, let's just stop. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Starting in the upper right hand corner. Uh, where are my buttons? Uh, what's that? Uh, upper right hand corner. We have Nick Baroda. Hello. Glad to be here. And this is where I would push this button here. Hello again. <laughs> nice so glad time. to be here. We'll get it together yet. Uh, next over, uh, Mark Overhoster. Hey there, glad to be here. All right. Next over from that is uh, Patrick Euland. We must endeavor to persevere. I uh, look, look forward to your presentation later on. And then uh, last over there on the right-hand side is uh, Sloopy with that massive uh, MC-10. It's about <laughs> four times the size of the Coco sitting above it. Greetings. Yes, that is a uh, new thing that I just made uh, the other day. It's a uh, case for the uh, Raspberry Pi 4. Well, I'm so. thinking that MC-10 can hold a much bigger door now. <laughs> so. All right, uh, down a row over to the left, uh, John Laurie. Hey, everybody, how you doing? And then the man with the news, our own L. Curtis Boyle. Hello, everyone. And if anybody's watching and, and in the chats of various things like Twitch and YouTube, if you want to let us know, is at least the audio going out fairly smoothly at this point? Because I've seen a few complaints about the slideshow everybody's watching at this moment. So I just want to make sure there's some content getting through. And yes, I did reboot my entire internet. <laughs> Next over is Ron Delvo. How you doing? We're here, present. Okay. Next over on his way to who the heck knows where, Jason Reichard. Hey everybody, and I just uh, just in regards to the bandwidth issues, I'd also like to point out who e who ah ah. Hey, if you know this keeps up, I'll just switch over to my phone. Next slide, please. <laughs> All right, next row over is Paul Shoemaker. Hello, everybody. Nice to be here. I hear you have uh, a presentation today on some project you're working on. Oh, I hope it's not a presentation, but I can definitely talk about the um, game that I just released. Okay, sounds good. We look forward to it. Cool. And skip over me. Uh, that means the last person is David Ladd. Oh, why, yes. Everybody's ready for today's train wreck, and we're already started off with an engine that's not running at full capacity. Now, <laughs> let's get this show on the road, and hopefully people don't have seizures from the stuttering. All right, everybody, Ooh. let's go. We're already on the cross ties. <laughs> I'm crossing my fingers that this will start to, you know, fix itself after a while, but I doubt it. 
I don't know. I mean, I'm still running about 2K here. I've already dropped the bandwidth to a third of what we usually do. Would you like me to stream from my uh, MC10? It yeah. might help. Have you, have you tried rebooting your USR56K modem? Yes. I think Kevin Holloway's got the right attitude. He said, at least it's all downhill from here. So <laughs> we have a direction. We're following it. That's right. <laughs> We're going down. Uh, okay. Um, probably before we uh, go off the air totally, uh, let us, let's mention uh, next week, next weekend, 24th, next Saturday, is the Glenside Meetup. Uh, it's going to be 7 p.m. Chicago time, Central Daylight Time, uh, on the usual Blue Jeans channel. Um, that's all I know about it. Anybody else have anything to say? Do they have bandwidth? <laughs> I <laughs> hope so. <laughs> we'll find out. I hope so. <laughs> okay. Got a few reports saying the audio is is fairly good, so that's at least they can hear us. Well, maybe that's a curse. We're sorry. Pleasant thing, but... <laughs> if you can make a face, because every once in a while it holds on um, <laughs> Facebook. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, all right. So, uh, shall we go right into uh, our game on challenge? Yes, sir. All right. I hear uh, Coco Thoughts has some uh, uh, ideas on the game. Ah, just when this joke got, couldn't get any worse. I know it. <laughs> let's just dive off the deep end. I'll say. And now. Coco Thoughts by Samuel Guy. Gaze on. Why did you steal my supplies tonight? <laughs> Look like an ogre. Do you go and sell them just to cause me spite? Gaze on. You don't have to sneak in there tonight. Sell my stuff for money. You don't care if it's wrong or if it's right. Gaze on. Steal my stuff tonight. 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 That was okay. as odd key as this show's bandwidth is. <laughs> Perfect to go along with our bandwidth issues. All right, well, let's, uh, next button. High score challenge with Nick Marona. All right, and welcome to another week of results. This week we played Gazon with 23 scores submitted. R. Ellen Murphy, 410. Mr. Dave, 6309, 920. Catlord, 1010. Coco Discord user, 1080. Rich N, 1990. Boat of Car, 3520. Louis, 3,780. Frodo NL, 3,950. Tom C, 4,360. 
Just Mike, 4,510. Jim Rye, 4,630. 8 Bits in the Basement, 5,160. C. Duris, 5,190. Kieran, 5,740. Canadian Retro Things, 5,980. Low Level, 6,260. Tasman, 7,380. Ken Riker, 9,510. Rick Yu, 14,250. L. Curtis Boyle, 16,340. David Craker, 17,660. Me, 17,920. And the number one score this week belongs to Buck Owens with 22,950. Great scores, everybody, and thank you for all the participation. Coco Talk salutes Buck Owens. All right, Mark, on top of it. Excellent. Just sharing my screen. That's value added for you. Sure is. Gotta stop sharing mine. Should be coming it's not up like anybody sh- can see it anyway, but go ahead. Should be coming up. <laughs> well, that that my uh, the game on results video seems to be okay because it's such low motion, so it uh, it was okay for the bandwidth. So anyway, here I come up. All right. So yeah, we had a, a good week this week. Twenty three scores. Um, Rick did pretty well. Yes, he did. Yeah, congratulations, Rick. Mm, thanks. Not sure why. <laughs> <laughs> So I was not able to find any high scores for the game, in Rainbow at least, uh, but I did find this review, and uh, they liked it. They made an error in, error in review, saying you could only shoot in eight directions, which is false, uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with the analog joystick, which is all there was pretty much back then people were using. There were well, there was, there was Atari adapters back then. I wonder if this guy actually was using one of those and didn't realize it doesn't give you the full range. I wonder, because there's definitely 32 directions. So uh, that was actually one of its advertising points. If you look at their ads, they were specifically mentioning in the early ads that you had more than eight directions. That was a high point of the game. Or Durecitans, as he actually said. (laughs) Ooh, (laughs) script set must not have a spell check. (laughs) Yeah. Either that, that's the name of the alien race or something. I don't know. Exactly. The Directicons. But, you know, he says it's a pretty good buy for anybody who likes arcade like games. And, uh, and, um, all right, so thanks again to Canadian Canadian Retro Things who featured the Game On Challenge on his channel this past week. Check out his channel for uh, retro uh, goodness, including Coco and other platforms. So thanks again, Ken, from Canadian Retro Things. Um, so yeah, this is a game I played as a, as a kid. Um, I don't think it was, uh, I think it was pretty, not really well known uh, among our, our community this week. And, yeah, well, uh, it wasn't from one of the big publishers, actually. I think that was part of the reason. Like, everybody knows Tom Mix and Spectral Associates and some, you know, Dicom, that kind of thing. But this was made by a more obscure company. And the fact I didn't find any reviews, and I searched, you know, around the times the review happened, just I didn't find any scores. And I searched all the magazines from around when the review was taken, and uh, there were none that I found. So maybe it was just one of those games that flew under the radar. But... Um, yeah, and I didn't, and I had no idea. It was it was revealed last week. This was a, uh, at least the idea was based on a game called Ripoff, by Cinematronics, where you defend, um, you know, vector graphics. And you defend your your load of whatever those are, and and uh, shoot at things, come to steal them. So 
I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, actually, I had, I had to correct my game's uh, page entry on that because I somebody had mentioned about half a year, a year ago, that it was based on a game called Ripoff 2, which I'd never seen either. And I, I totally forgot to make the change. So I actually did it this past week. So my uh, game page entry for Gazon now reflects. Also, we don't know if it's pronounced Gazon or Gazon. I have no idea. So we're going to do both ways, and that way we'll, we'll be right 50% of the time. Yeah. It's kind of like our <laughs> bandwidth. <Go ahead>. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we had a couple of people who weren't too fond of the game. They played anyway, which I appreciate. Uh, but uh, yeah, a bit of dis- division on this game. Some people thought it was fun. And uh, some people it wasn't their cup of tea, which is a okay. You know, I certainly I expect that when games are chosen, that not everything will appeal to everybody. But um, overall, but still a good turnout. Twenty-two people. I was very pleased. Um, as for strategy, what I tended to do, I was on top. I was on top for a good part of the week till Buck Owen swooped in at the end, and and stole it from me. But I I kind of half expected that would happen, so I wasn't totally surprised. Um, although it's partly my fault because I'm I told him how. Uh, with an analog joystick, it's easier because you get the 32 directions. And he, yeah, uh, I, I've discovered don't reveal your secrets until the show. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, play with a paddle. It works the best. So uh, <laughs> Play with an eight-direction Atari centering joystick. That's what I would have said. <laughs> but uh, for me, what I do is I hung around the middle as much as I could. And uh, I'd try to swarm the, the little UFO guy uh, as early as I could. Um, right. So I'd even run, I'd leave my center position to go run into him and then, uh, and then zip back to the uh, middle and, and take out the guys that are taking out the, the things in the middle. And uh, I think I made it to level six was as far as I got for my 17,000 score. And yeah, it was the same the, level I got too. The scores would increase uh, with each level because the guys would become more valuable. So your score would, as you got further, your score would rise faster. So, yeah. My, my favorite gameplay mechanic, nothing to do with strategy, but the actual makes the game interesting, is that you've got the two different kinds of aliens. They all steal your stuff. But that, that saucer-like guy, you have to hit him. You can't shoot him. And the other ones, you shoot. But if you hit them, you kill them, too, and you have lives, per se, in the game. But when you hit those other guys, you get randomly teleported somewhere else. So all of a sudden, you have to like really quickly you know, figure out where you are and then try to get back into things and protect your whatever the treasure is type thing. So it has an interesting game play mechanic that actually made it for me, quite fun actually, which is and you know ramps up in difficulty as you go. But uh, for it such was. a simple concept, for me, it was quite fun. Sometimes right. I'd ram into the guy if he was the last one, and yeah. it was easier just to ram into him instead of shooting him. Yeah, because if he's the last guy on the screen, you have time to get back to the center to protect him. But yeah. once that saucer moonlander guy comes out there, you got to head for him because you can only approach him from closeness. You know, if yeah. if you get bounced to the corner, you can shoot the other guys from the edge of the screen, but once that guy gets out of out of your range, he's got your guy and he's gone. And he cheats. <laughs> <laughs> According to the review, level two, the the enemies get smarter at evading you. So I mean, we play on level one just to make this uh, approachable for everybody. But apparently if you play on the higher levels, it gets uh, even more, uh, as we'd expect, it gets more difficult. But it gets more difficult in that the, uh, the enemies will evade you. And uh, in the third level, apparently you, sh- uh, you shoot half as fast. So the game. Oh, that'd be a problem. The game. It does have auto fire, which is a nice feature. That I think uh, Ken originally, the guy's video we're reviewing here, I think he originally uh, did not know that it was auto fire, so he was hammering on the fire button like mad. Yeah, because you can't move when you're firing, so you think, oh, I've got to let off the fire button a lot so I can move. And yeah, 
I'd leave the fire button down all the time, even if my joy, if, even if when I was sitting in the middle and I had my joystick centered, so I wasn't really firing anywhere. But I just leave it pressed, and then just the whole time I was playing. Yeah, you let go when you have to move to get the saucer. Yeah, yeah. This is this is one of the games that actually the Black Beauty is one of the better controllers for. It's one of the ones that's designed for it, I think, more so. Partly because yeah. of the the analog controls where you have the thirty two different directions you can fire. Yeah. Well, and plus, um, go ahead. Other computers at the time, like Vic Twenty and that, were they digital? Like, were they uh, uh, digital d- digital control, or at least Mo- most were digital? I think the Apple IIs was analog. So, um, so, they, so but I think like so, Atari's yes, Commodores yeah, and stuff. I think were all digital, weren't they? Vic Twenty and the Commodore sixty four used the same style joysticks as the Atari twenty six hundred. Uh, the paddles were analog. Paddle. Yeah, Commodore sixty four. Yeah, paddles. the paddles. So much right. like how you have you know, in the modern days, you have the Wii who had the motion control, so people want to take advantage of that. Probably people saw the analog as a bit of an advantage in some ways and wanted to uh, write games that catered to that, I would imagine. Because we have some really good games that are in a, in a digital, you know, like Double Back and, and uh, this one and, you know, a number of others that work really well with analog. Yeah, Polaris is another one or Defense or some of the Missile Command clones. And yeah. Project Nebula kind of requires them. Skiing. I just, I just found this game really tiring. I couldn't play it that long, and then I tiring because you're getting frustrated or bored or what? Well, no, it's just I don't know. Somehow the way that you have to that I tense up on it. A lot of games I can relax and play, but this one I just couldn't. And so after (laughs) fifteen twenty minutes, it's like uh, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) So we had a comment. I think it's serious. Wait, you could run into the aliens without dying? Maybe that was my problem. <laughs> right? Had you listened to Game On last week, I mentioned <laughs> I made sure to mention that, but that's okay. Or maybe you forgot. Somebody else heard me say that, but by the time they played, they forgot. And they also didn't realize you could run into the aliens. So uh yeah. Yeah, definitely an interesting mechanic because often uh, most games running into aliens is fatal, but on this one, you just get penalized by hype by hyperspacing, which I really liked. Yeah. So. Now, uh, just to go back to Nick's original comment earlier here, uh, figuring that this was a fairly rarely played game in the Coco community because it was from a small publisher. Now, how many people on the panel had cur- had played this game before, or seen it before? I had for sure, obviously. And so was Nick. Yeah, I had. Yeah. Was it new to everybody else? Crickets. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I I didn't have a chance to play it. Looks it looks actually really intriguing, but I didn't play it last week. But I had never heard of it before, which was why I when I saw it, I. I didn't automatically think about, oh, I'm going to go play this because it's been a long time because I've I'd never right. even heard of it before. Right. Well, that's good because that's one of the goals is to uh, yeah. uh, find games that uh, we may have not experienced back in the day. We must have had a uniquely uh, Canadian piracy ring for this one here, Nick. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, I was at the mercy <laughs> of whatever the pirates uh, had available, and this was one of Because everybody so. around here had gays on. I remember that. We used to play at the club every once in a while. Yeah. Until the Coco 3, and I could actually afford to buy stuff, and then I bought games. But for the Coco 2, most of my stuff was, uh, unfortunately. Hey, uh, uh, sometimes you have the game, but you just never play it. I mean, you see it on your directory, but you don't click it. Yeah. I, I, I think most of us here, anyway, we didn't have that attitude. We tried everything, and if a game you didn't like it, you never played it again. But we tried everything once. Uh, especially at club meetings because people have certain favorite types of games. You got to check this one here. We haven't seen before. And the club, I mean, I will be honest, our club did purchase quite a few games on its own that we put into our library. People could, you know, sign out like a library book type thing. You, you know, come to a meeting one week and then you bring it back the next week. 
and we did purchase you know dozens and dozens of, of games legitimately but yeah Migos Retro Gaming never heard of it David Craker never heard of it so yeah hmm. definitely not a well known game so interesting I'm hoping that the people who, who discovered it that uh, you guys uh, you enjoyed it and uh, you know like I said not everybody will but most of the people seem to seem to enjoy. We had a good we had a good battle anyway for uh, sports this week. So, and I would have gotten away with it if it hadn't been for those meddling kids. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, are we ready to move on to talk about next week's game? Yes. All right. So next week we're doing a Coco Three game, and I'm not even going to ask if you know what this game is. It's going to be instantly recognizable. Pyramix. Pyramix, which I had no idea existed. So I got a request for a, the request was for a Qbert clone. And I believe that was by Sixy who asked for that. So I was thinking, okay, I was the only Qbert clone I ever played as a kid with Blockhead, which was not the greatest. Um, but I knew, I knew that Coco had quite a few clones. I did a, I did yeah. a search in Google for color computer Google uh, Qbert clones. I wanted at least find some and, and you know try them out and see which one's the best. And I and this Pyramix came up in the hits. I'm like, oh my goodness, a Coco 3 version. So I tried it and it's it's a good game and uh, very close to the arcade. The only thing I noticed uh, on this one is on the second or third level, there's a flashing square. One of the squares flashes and it moves around and you can't land on that. I don't remember if that was in the game Qbert or not. I don't remember either. I haven't played the arcade version <clears throat> in eons. But for those of you who haven't played Qbert, basically the goal is to jump on all the tops of the cubes and change them to the, to the uh, target color. So in this case, you got to turn. They started out red, and you got to let jump on all of them to turn them purple. And then later on, you have to jump on them twice or more to turn them a color. Uh, you're allowed to jump on anything that's green. So there's a green ball which freezes time. There's a, a one green guy who's who's harmless. Uh, there's another green guy who turns the cubes back to their original color. So you want to get him. And then there's these weird ones that jump on the sides of the cubes. It gets really weird. So uh, that's that's basically Qbert. And I, I'm, I'm assuming that this has uh, those features as well. I didn't play it a whole lot because I didn't want to practice the too much. What does the rainbow circles do? Oh, you jump on those and it floats you back up to the top. So what you really use those for is that purple ball will turn into a snake and the snake follows you. So what you can do is uh, when the snake is following you, you jump onto the disc, you'll float up to the top and the snake will jump off trying to get you and he'll fall to his demise. So they, yeah. they teleport you back up to the top, basically is what those discs do. And, and you basically you... lure the snake into following you and then you, you jump on that disc, you go up and he goes down into the abyss and dies. Yeah, once you, and once you use the disc, it's gone. So, now, a bit of trivia on this one. This this was one of the earliest Coco Three games. Um, uh, Frodo is actually going to be working on a like he just did his history of the uh, Coco One games for the first year, and this one qualifies for the Coco Three because uh, this was actually released in 1987, not too long after the Coco Three came out, like within six to eight months. So it was a very rapid development for a machine that nobody had used before. Wow, that's so one of the earlier classics. Yeah, I had no idea this existed. One thing you'll notice is I, the jumping is fast. I believe it's faster than the arcade. So that's just, that's normal. That's just the way it is. Like when you jump, you move pretty quickly. Um, and in this screenshot, it looks like the ball has green legs, but it doesn't. There's a green guy behind. And so like I said, that's one of the green guys that you can safely jump on and uh, it uh, gets rid of him. This little character shouldn't lie anymore. His nose is pretty long as it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the smile looks kind of weird to me because in the arcade, he didn't have a mouth. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe so. It's kind of weird to see him. Well, smile. He, he talked to Blue Streak in the arcade too. They used to yeah, do weird balloons think, with all the exclamation marks and stuff. And it's, I don't is think there much sound in this one? Uh, Minimal. Not it's lot. not yeah. a huge amount. There's no background music or anything, but there's some sound. Yeah. And it can use keyboard or joystick. Uh, I see they're here using the keyboard here. If you use a joystick, it's diagonals, so it doesn't work too well with the digital stick. You want to, it works well with the uh, deluxe joystick because it's got the nice corners. So is this a 16K game? It's no, Coco 3. 3, 128K. Hmm. What I meant was the size of it on the ROM. Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> 13 was granules. Was this a, was this a um, disc or... It was disc, disc or cassette. I actually I can't remember if it was cassette or not. For disc for sure. And the company that put it out was actually not known for doing games. In fact, I think this is the only game they ever released. They were usually doing utilities and stuff. Because uh, it was it was a, a, issued by who was it? Uh, Color Venture. Color Venture, yeah, which sold it through Dr. Pebble's programs, I think, originally. And if you get the utilities. choice for start level, start level one, obviously. Say Jordan's name. Jordan. It's easy. <laughs> Jordan Zvetskov. There you go. Zvetskov. Or Zvetskov. Oh, damn. Zvet- Zvetkov. So That's what happens when I sneeze. Yeah, bless you. you take- yeah. Aaron in the chat mentions uh, the arcade game also had a pinball knocker in it. Gottlieb of pinball fame made this in the arcade, so they added that in. Yeah, that was awesome. I, 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 th- I love that effect. So, unless you get a knocker attachment, maybe Mr. Dave can make you a cartridge that will uh, interface with it and. Uh, an early yeah. serial number <laughs> yeah all right so that is our game for next week and thank you everybody for your participation this week and thanks mark and uh thank you panel and we'll see you next week i have to give a plug to mark bosley our streamer who's you know having the bandwidth issues here because i just noticed on the, the live stream slideshow that he's labeled this now as the 2400 bot edition of coco talk <laughs> <laughs> there we go <laughs> Go go down to 300 before long. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay. Uh, Ready for some game on news? I think so. All right. I take it away, Curtis. I actually saw on the stream we had a burst of bandwidth there. Part of the unrolling of the game on placard actually worked. Yeah, I occasionally get a, a little green, but we're basically a 71% loss on uh, the frame. Well, that's an improvement. We started off at the, between the 75 to 80 loss, so <laughs> slowly getting better. Okay, so actually we've got a fair bit of game on news this week. Actually, we've got a fair bit of regular news this week, so it's, it's kind of... Interesting, because the last few weeks have been pretty lean. So our first one here is actually our special guest, Paul Shoemaker, uh, to talk about. Um, for those who don't know, Paul's done a lot of Coco uh, games in the past, I don't know, 15 years. You've released a lot of basic games for free. That's right. 
because I remember you did some like solitaire games back around 2007 or something like that. And you've just kind of been doing them on and off ever since. Yeah, there's something about card games that appeals to me because designing the cards is fun. And then displaying on the displaying them on the screen is not terribly difficult to do even in assembly language. And so it's uh, it's an easy project that is um, fun. Have you thought about making a game regarding shoes? <laughs> <laughs> I ought to. It would be a perfect thing. It seems appropriate somehow. Yeah, it uh. does. Now, in the interest of the slideshow here, I'm actually going to pause the video rather than just let it play, just so people can see the different screens, um, you know, and, and then we know what they're seeing. So this is the title screen for your uh, new version of Poker Squares. Now, we should mention you did a version for the Coco 3. Uh, yeah. Was it April or not April? Uh, it, last, July, year, last year, last year July, I released a version of the Coco Three that was in um, sixteen colors, three twenty by two twenty five. I actually use um, uh, Nick Marientes. He has that um, all those peaks and pokes that you can put in to to use the uh, the additional width or height of the of the H screen in basic. And so I needed the extra space because the height that I designed the cards, it was just a little bit too high to fit five cards high on the, on the normal 192 high screen. So I um, used his information and stuff that he shared to get it up to 225. And uh, it, I had fun writing that and it was easy. And the, and the cards in that game were, were based off of a really cool design by a, a pixel artist named Mike Myers. And um, I remember at the time that some folks were asking for a Coco 2 version. And of course there are already Coco 2 versions of poker squares, but um, I finally got a sort of a wild hair and decided to write it um, maybe four weeks ago, five weeks ago, I started on, on this one. Now and this the, one, the, this one's a hybrid too. It's, it's got some assembly language in it to help speed certain things up, but it's mostly basic. Is that correct? It's yeah. The, the, the core program that actually, you know, where you place the cards and it calculates if you've won a, you know, got a good poker hand, all of that's in basic. Everything that puts something onto the screen is basically an assembly language. And that's the same way that it was for the Coco 3 version as well. And in fact, the, 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 the core code that runs the game is exactly the same between the Coco 3 version and the Coco 2 version. I just replaced all of the graphics, um, commands and assembly language subroutines that run in the back end. One of them, you know, the Coco 3 one has the H screen version and the Coco 2 version has these P mode four. My wife was impressed. Uh, I showed her um, some of the graphics on here and I said, isn't that pretty cool for a, the color computer? And she goes, yeah, it's pretty nice. Oh, that's nice to hear. Thank yeah. you. Really uh, one of the things that I did, I actually designed a couple of different card faces and um, one of them was more I would say traditional with the number in the top corner and the bottom corner and a, and, and a suit in the middle and it just started to look a little clunky you know a little pixelated because there's just not that many pixels to work with and then um, I was um, kind of surfing around as I do to get ideas about graphics looks and feels and things like that and I saw there was a card game someplace right I just saw a picture of it that hat where the where that that guy had done what I ended up doing here is sort of putting a big version of the uh, suit kind of in the lower right hand corner and a bigger number and I found at least for me in my old eyes it was a lot easier to see and play this way. <laughs> now, for those who have never played poker squares or even poker, can you kind of explain like how this differs from poker regular poker itself and then kind of the gameplay just for to get yeah. people familiar with it? Yeah, so. The, 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 
so hopefully everybody's somewhat familiar with the poker hands and they're in the table in the lower right hand corner there for folks that aren't but the idea is that um, you start with that diagonal stripe of, of cards that are flip face down so there's five random cards that are face down in that diagonal and then you just flip over one card at a time and you have to sort of strategically decide where in the other empty places that you can drop a card in where is the likely to be the best place for that card to be such that it helps you get points both horizontally and vertically. And, and I find as I start to play, um, occasionally I will have two or maybe three hands that I'm really going for because I see that there's uh, good points that can be had. And towards the end, I'm just trying to place cards where I think I can get a pair or something where I don't waste um, a column or a row with no points. It doesn't always work that way. Usually there's one or, or more, many more uh, columns or rows that you don't uh, generate any points on. But um, for me, in playtesting this and just in recollection, the best hand I ever got was maybe uh, 108 points or something like that, which I've never gotten a Royal Flush playing it a time and time again. I've never managed to get a Royal Flush. I have got a straight flush a couple of times and all of the other ones multiple times. So if anybody ever gets a Royal Flush, you need to take a picture of it. But if, if, if you're getting a hand that's worth $90 or more, that's typically a really good hand, a really good round, I guess. Was it difficult trying to make things random? No. No, that, that, well, actually the, the one thing that, um, and it was actually, um, uh, Nick on the, on the call here that reminded me of the, um, X equals, uh, you know, minus timer, R and D minus timer command that truly randomizes the first problem I ran into when I was running the other, when I was writing the first version of this for the Cocoa three is it came up with the same hand every time, right? Uh, the first time that you played, it was always the same or, or. It, or I started to see that it was very, very similar. And so that randomizing the um, random seed really with the time with the negative timer function was a perfect trick, worked great. Now, what, what is the rule as far as when those, those five that are face down when you start? Like I noticed that after a while you get to select one to flip over so you can kind of see where it's going. What's yeah. the rule on that? Is it every so many cards or how does that work? No, the, the I wanted that to, um, that the chance it's the basically the the random chance that you hear the tune that you can flip over one of the middle cards it uh, grows the further you get into the game the higher the chance is and so what you'll typically see is you might be able to place five or ten cards sometimes before you um, hear the tune and are able to flip over the um, one of the middle ones and so I kind of just messed around with sign literally like a sign a sign function and a random number generation to try to get sort of an increasing chance over time such that you have to flip all of the five cards before you can play of course the last card that you play you it, so that uh, that took a little bit of figuring out a little bit of noodling with with um, sign numbers and other things to try to get kind of an increasing chance One of the pieces of feedback I got, which which I thought was a really good idea, um, and I sort of incorporated it, was um, the feedback was, it's neat that, you know, it costs $25 to play a hand and it deducts from your score, but really what gets people playing it is to try to get the best number, the most number of points that you can in a round, and so why not 
track that? Why not make that the object of if you want to play it two or three times, trying to better your your overall score each time? And so um, I added a um, and it doesn't do this in the Cocoa 3 version. It never tells you what your hand, what your round was worth. You just have to sort of do the math. This one, I added that so that you can clearly see um, and maybe take a, a picture and share it in, in Discord what your round was in terms of the, um, like how, how much uh, your points were for that round. Yeah, because your Cocoa 3 version does the scores we're showing here right now. So basically the ones on the right-hand side are doing your horizontal hands, how much they're worth. Right. And based on that table on the lower right. And then the bottom row is doing the vertical ones, how much they're worth type thing with X's meaning zero points. That's right. And uh, that's on the Cocoa 3 version as well. Yes, but it didn't do this, but this on the Cocoa 3 version. Yeah, it doesn't do this on the Cocoa 3 version. Tell you how much you actually won that round. Yeah, it's a cool concept. I, I, until I saw your Cocoa 3 version, I'd never played it. I don't play card games that much, you know, personally in real life or on the computer that much. But uh, I actually yeah. found this one kind of fun. I think uh, the the... I think we lost Mark. Yeah, it looks like he's gone. Does that mean we're not being recorded? That, that would be correct. That is just correct. having a conversation amongst ourselves. It's interesting because uh, Coco Talk is still the host of this call, but I'm not sure what's holding that open. Maybe it's his phone. So, Paul, what's the monitor um, on your Coco 3 back there? Okay. Um, this oh, your one. back, Mark? Which this one over here is a, a compact VGA monitor that I have connected up. The other one. Um, oh, the other one is a. <laughs> it's a. Uh, oh, it's the monochrome one, the Tandy monochrome one. The what's it? The VM two. VM two. It's the VM two. Yeah. Cool. With the amber screen. It's it's actually green. Green. And, or but amber it's screen. it's got the um, um it's got oh, the composite connector, which up. is really cool. We're back up on Twitch. Yeah, I didn't do anything. Uh, I just lost, like, internet. Totally lost internet for a bit. We're back up on Twitch. Yeah, even okay. Windows said I had nothing. So for the people watching on Twitch, there, our host actually lost all internet. He even got kicked off the call for a bit himself. So uh, hopefully, we'll be able to stabilize and stay on for a bit here. But uh, it's like uh, they do have the local recording, though. I don't think we're on uh, YouTube, though. Yeah, YouTube is there. It's just under a new stream now. This is the third third one. Oh, okay. The internet is rising if up you, against us, I think. If you go yeah. back to the main page. For your your game yeah. is just too awesome, Paul. That's, uh, <laughs> That's it. Must be it. <laughs> Broke the internet. <laughs> yeah, I was really impressed with the graphics on it. You know, when you're working with um, 
you know, I like working with the P mode four screen because it's easier. And uh, the way you've worked with the limitations of the screen, you made a really good looking game, like you said, with the bigger numbers uh, or characters and uh, the bigger graphics that are kind of in the corner there. And even the way they kind of go off the card a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. just to kind of fit it all on there and make them as big as possible. Um, and, you know, the only part where you get that kind of rainbow stuff going on is in the lower right hand corner, but all the rest of the graphics are really tight for, you know, the limitations of PMO4. Yeah. When I went to build that, that, you know, table of scores down in the, in the lower right hand corner, I, I really tried John to use the two pixel wide, you know, convention to avoid the, the unintentional artifacting. It's just, I couldn't yeah. make it fit. So I ended up having to do it like that. And it, it's, it's one of those things. It actually looks better than on a regular cocoa, right? An actual cocoa outputting to either a TV or a composite monitor than it does in the, in the emulation because in, 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 on real hardware, even though you just have one pixel wide, it doesn't really look red if there's nothing around it, it looks more black than red, like the letter I in pair. Um, so it, 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 it's more striking here than it is on actual hardware. And, it, and it's readable even here with, with this sure. kind of artifact. Yeah, it's, it is overall, it's very readable. And uh, when I, ever I, see I that, really like it. It makes me feel like, you know, you're at home with the Cocoa One too. Yeah. Yeah, now we should mention here you 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 just finished that up and like we had gone through some different card designs and uh, I've actually added link or uh, entries on my games page for both of your versions of Poker Squares just last night. Um, the Coco Three version is currently available for download on the Color Computer Archive, and I have a link that does a kind of a search link link on on the site that you can click on the entry there and go straight to it. The Coco One and Two One you submitted, but I don't think William has actually put it up yet, though it should be up probably later this weekend or maybe Monday or Tuesday at the latest. Um, but the, the link that I have there should find it once it's up there. Uh, for, for those that actually want to get it now without waiting, you've actually posted it on the Coco Talk Discord, right? Yes, I did. For the Coco Discord? Yes, I did. Yeah, it's in there. And, um, you know, I didn't put it in Facebook. I don't know why. It just occurred to me. I could have uploaded it into the file section of Facebook, too, and I'll, I'll do that later on today. That would be good. And just did for you... people, if we're on the Discord but to have to you know navigate the 5,000 channels, we have, I believe it's in... The general game post channel. Yeah, general yes. game post channel under the games subcategory. That's it. So any, any further questions from anybody on the panel here on Poker Squares? Yeah, I have Before one we more. go on to future stuff. I have one question. Um, did you intend to do the graphics from machine language from the get-go, or did you try to do the graphics from basic? Because with get and put, you could probably do it, although I don't know you could get enough graphics memory set aside to do the whole card deck yeah uh, no i intended to do it in assembly the whole way in fact i intended to do the whole game in assembly and not do the hybrid mix of assembly and basic but i um got to the point that i really didn't want to put the effort into figuring out how to do the back end, the, the 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 logic of reading the hands and calculating all of that stuff. I didn't really want to try to figure that out in assembly. And that's why I sort of defaulted back to the way I did on the Coco three. But I think you're right, John, that you could, you could absolutely do it in, um, in basic and um, still probably get away with some, with some good speed. If you were very um, strategic about what you saved and get put 
um, buffers and, and maybe what you had on the, on the screen hidden behind this one, if you used a P clear eight as an example. Yeah. And you might even be able to composite cards together. Like, you know, just have a, 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 a blank you have your digits spade, and then have your suits and, a blank yeah. diamond. Yeah. And right. then just overlay the number when you, and then when you needed to put it up. Yeah. Right. That's, that's actually the approach I use here too. It's just, it happens in assembly. And so it's really fast. Yeah. Awesome job, man. I like Thank it. You. Yep. Thank it's, you very it's much. It's a good game. One other nice. thing about your background. <laughs> Do you ever notice that um, pretty much everybody puts their um, cassette player on their um, drives? <laughs> it just, it just seemed purpose. like the right spot for it. Yeah, yeah it, it did. I, do too. I don't even Sorry. have a cassette. Well, I have a cassette player, but I haven't used it in decades. So it just sits on the shelf somewhere. I don't know where it is. <laughs> I got that one. It was one of those like like I saw it on eBay, it was still in the box. It was, you know, for a buy me now with a reasonable price. I've used it maybe once just to see if it worked and it, it totally works, but it, I just have it to look at now. It I looks don't actually cool it. there. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> right. I like it I, like that too. Yeah. I must be one of the oddballs. I always liked the cassette player on the left side because for me, the floppy drives were on the right side. Then the hard drive was on top of those. Depends on if you have real estate. Yeah, that's for me. It's, it's a small desk, so I have yeah. to go up. I can't go out. Yeah. Uh, my situation was the floppy was the monitor stand. You turned it sideways, monitor on top, cocoa in front of it. That was my desk space. Rick, what have you done there with your Model 1? No. Ron's calling me out. <laughs> Look at that. Virtual cocoa talk. You put, you put uh, the Model One inside that. Uh, it just just realized nobody can see this on the stream. So, well. oh right. Well, actually, <laughs> it's it's a Commodore sixty four and a fifteen forty one drive under the monitor. Oh okay. I, I was trolling, and of course Ron noticed it because he's an observer. Oh yeah, I noticed it too. I own a Model One, so <laughs> I picked that out right away that it was not. Yeah, a Model no, one. the Model One's in the shop getting uh, remodel one. It can't find uh, its expansion. Uh oh, interface. I think we're pausing again. Are we? Is anybody else seeing that on Twitch or is that just me? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm buffering I'm, on YouTube. Uh, it yeah, does keep dropping working. to zero bytes here every. You're the only one I see on Twitch right now. Curtis? If you're still recording, I guess we can still keep going. So, yeah. Okay, so basically what I wanted to get to next here, now that Paul's released a Cocoa 3 version of Poker Squares, and now he's released a Cocoa 1, 2 version of Poker Squares, where could he possibly go from there? And you actually put up a rather intriguing screenshot of importing the Cocoa 3 card set to the 16-color Cocoa VGA mode. I've had a Cocoa VGA now, probably like lots of people, for years. And um, I only just recently, and this is my second try at it, I, although... Brendan does a really nice job out on the Cocoa VGA side of putting instructions of how to um, control and interface with the hardware um, in assembly language in basic. And he has a lot of utilities as well that help you do it. Um, I really wanted to figure out how to in assembly language, send the register information to the Cocoa VGA to put it into the, the, um, the VG6 or the VGA mode, which is a, this really cool 128 by 96. What is it, John? 96? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, 96. Um, with Depending on the version of, of the Cocoa VGA you have, you either have 512 colors possible or a lot more than 512. Because the yeah, 32,768, I think. Right. Because more recent ones. The earlier versions use 3-bit RGB color and 
the later versions use five bit RGB color. So for me, the, 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 the fun thing that sort of the epiphany I had last night was figuring out how to, how, what were the right bit patterns to use to select the palette colors that would match what the Cocoa 3 outputs as well. And um, it worked pretty well. So I was, I was pleased with it. So these are the cards. These three are three of the cards that are in the, the Cocoa 3 version. Of course, they're much smaller on a 320 by, by 225 screen than they are here. But um, earlier this morning, I started to design uh, a set of cards that will are more appropriate to a, a 128 by 96 size screen. So we'll see how that goes. So are you trying to scale these cards specifically or designing a whole new card set from scratch basically? Nope, I'm, I'm going to design a whole new um, cards set uh, from scratch. I'm really kind of following the same design language that I used in the Cocoa 2 version that has a suit that hangs off the bottom right-hand side and, and one large number up in the top left-hand corner because these cards need to be no more than 18 pixels high in order to be able to fit uh, enough cards on the screen for what I want to do. So that's a not a lot of uh, that's not a lot of pixel height to do stuff with. Yeah. So what are you, what are you using the extra colors in the sixteen color mode for then? If you're basically doing the Coco one and two, because that's basically just you know the colors of the suits themselves are the black and red. Obviously, are you still trying to do like the faces of kings and jacks and stuff? Or? If I can make them look right, I will. But yeah, it's a good it's a good question. Currently, the the mockup I have is only I don't know six colors. It's it's more than four but it's um, and they're four sort of nicer colors or six nicer colors than what we get on the in p mode four but but yeah it's a good point they're it, they're not they're not going to immediately like you're you're not going to see all of the detail necessarily that you see here like in the in the king card yeah well if you wanted to make like a uh like a bubble shape type thing you could do that because you have more colors to work with so you can like shade things uh so different shades of the same color as opposed to you know you know number of colors right more shades of the same color of the few colors even uh that you that you were using uh can can work good i had a lot of trouble trying to wrap my head how to talk to coco vga yeah so <laughs> it's yeah, that whole 512 by frame buffer you have to do and catch it on the v-sync and yeah, it's it's uh, mo most of it. I just copy pasted from what he he puts out on his website. Like, and it, I was just sort of taking it on faith that it was going to work. Some of it I did start to figure it out, but that last night was the second time I really tried to figure it out. The first time I couldn't. So I was pleased enough to post a screenshot out here. Yeah, Are you gonna I got to use the smaller font. Yeah, see that? See like the J and the uh, like the words for Joker. That's the size of the font that will have to be in this game because it is such a the pixels are so big. Right. But we'll see. I like doing card games. I don't know why. So <laughs> we're going to, I'm going to do another card game. Who knows? going to do a, do like a Star Trek too, so. card game? <laughs> What's that, Coco? How about a Star Trek card game? Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> My Coco 2 is still in storage from the move, but, uh, but the Coco 3 is out because I just got it upgraded for the Gimme X. And now I'm playing with the Gimme X. And not so much the Coco VGA, but I do want to get back into the Coco VGA. Yeah. Where are you going to spend all your time? <laughs> <laughs> I got so many things to do. You have no yeah, idea. I, I uh, same here. I I go off on rabbit trails doing stuff, you know, and then pretty soon, well, what what was I going to do? Hmm. <laughs> I'm familiar with that myself. 
I mean, it looks really good. I, I'm, I'm like the, the card actually looks really good here. I mean, if you did a game that doesn't require as many cards on the screen at once, you could probably do pretty decent with this, this the original card set you used from the Coco Three version, even on the Coco VGA. So absolutely, yeah, I was really happy with the. It look they look really nice on the Coco uh, coming through the Coco VGA, and so if you're right, if I if there was a game that could use the full size cards, it, they I, I think they're they're fantastic in Coco now, VGA. Now tell us about those speakers. <laughs> <laughs> that's a nine dollar set of speakers i got from amazon because i needed to put some some sound out out so they, they work really well well yeah definitely keep us posted um i will announce next week officially that the it's been uploaded to uh, the color computer archive because like i said last time i checked this morning it wasn't up there yet should be up there over the weekend i'm pretty sure and uh paul if you're gonna upload it to facebook of course people can check there as well but if you're on our discord you can get it right now and it runs on any Coco 1, 2, or 3, requires 32K extended basic. Um, I think the current way it's set up, it, it requires disk. And somebody might want to hack it for cassette at some point. It wouldn't be impossible. Now, listen, I have a 64K Coco 2. Will it work? Because it's not 32. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's why I said at least 32. Yes, oh, it will okay. work. All right. And the Coco 3 version, it just requires a stock 128K Coco 3. No, no upgrades required. Yeah, it should work fine. I it runs in basic, so it should work just fine on a 128. Cool. Well, thank you very much for uh, guesting with us, Paul, and kind of explaining uh, what you did and, and where you're heading with it with some of these other things. Um, well, I don't you. know if you're going to planning on doing like a Gimme X version later on with two, six color modes on there too. Or I, I feel like I need to, right? Yeah. And of course, <laughs> I've been pressuring you to, to do a base benign version for Nitrous Line. That's the next one. Yes, that's the next one. And luckily, I picked up a book the other day. Uh, that is my tour guide to basic 09 so i think between this and and all of the information that's available on the interwebs i ought to be able to figure it out yeah and there's been some updates too that go beyond that book too so that uh, i can help you with those if you need any help with that but i already reported the card sets you don't have to do all that it's it's ready to go you just load to get the buffers and just go on from there so it should be pretty easy how can i not do it then <laughs> aaron's suggesting how about tarot cards <laughs> oh that would be cool because those are neat looking <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, even with this giant set here on the Coco VJ dis we're displaying right now, I mean, if you did a card that actually used hands where you just put the cards over top so you can just see the far left and then you pull the cards out as you go, mm -hmm. you can even do some animations and stuff like that too. I think you could fit like a, a decent hand. You don't have to show the whole card at a time. You can just show the one on the far right side, for example, fully and just have the other ones kind of overlaid going across type thing. Absolutely. You need. Yeah. Hey, cool. Thanks for that. Uh, next up, uh, Sheldon McDonald, and speaking of new releases, uh, we just announced last week that he's actually producing the hardware now for his uh, Treasure Island Defense game, which we showed the video of last week. Um, so he's actually in the manufacturing stages now. So here he kind of shows a breakdown of what the kit that you uh, buy off of him contains. So he's got you know the little uh, colored cards with the instructions. He's got the actual board. He's got the 3D printed cases for it. Um, he's even got a little box that has a picture of the game on it as well. And the ROM that you burn for it, etc. And he said the game pack will cost twenty dollars, and shipping will most likely be another twenty. He's shipping from Canada, so I imagine it's a little bit cheaper for us in Canada. So Nick Morota and I get kind of special treatment on that one. Um, but it's actually up for sale now, so that's uh, a Game Master cartridge uh, with the Coco VGA support. So it's kind of the first game I think ever that combines those two uh, support-wise. So it has the enhanced graphics and the enhanced sound, and uh, it's pretty cool that he's actually getting it out and going now too. So. 
if any of you have gotten it or get it soon and then put it together and try running, I wouldn't mind getting a live demo on a future show here just to kind of show everybody what it what it looks and sounds like. And you can tell any tales of putting it together type thing. Hey, Curtis, since yep. you're uh, up on all these games, like on your site now, did anybody ever come out with a Ouija board game? Not that I remember. Rainbow might have had one at some point. But I mean, that you could do on, on the computer, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, some people have a bit of a, a religious bent against Ouija boards in general. So maybe that's yeah. why it probably hasn't been that popular. I don't know. sort of like a strange card game right <laughs> yeah I'm so pretty this sure was an that's update. how houses but... get haunted uh, <laughs> yeah. Ouija board. yeah yeah that's why the game poltergeist was created um <laughs> so sheldon actually did an update later on today too um concerning the treasure island defense so basically this is a comparison video so he's now ported it so it also runs on ed snyder's psg sound card which is a little bit of a different sound and as he mentions here um he said it's a lot cheaper to build it if you have an a multi-pack interface of some sort, other two or four slot, and the PSG. If you already have that, you can get the enhanced sound on that as well. You still need the Cobra VGA. But he actually did a comparison video here where he actually uh, does the differences between the two sound cards. And while it's mostly the same, as he put it in the comments, he said it sounds a little bit darker on the PSG than it does on the GMC. So I, I, do you guys want me to play the whole three-minute video to do the whole comparison, or should I just do some little snippets in between? Go for the whole thing. What the heck? Okay. Got time. It'll probably be a slideshow for all you out in public here, but at least you'll be able to hear it because this is mainly to do oh. the audio differences. Well, as soon as we hit the one hour mark, the light went green, just stayed green now. Oh, maybe they fixed whatever <laughs> the issue was. <laughs> okay, in that case, I'll just play it. Hey, let me know how the volume is on this one because it's kind of hard to gauge on Facebook ones. Hello, Sheldon McDonald here. Um, we're going to do a yeah. comparison yeah. today with my new PSG player. Um, so now I've got my uh, TID Treasure Island Defense on a normal uh, flash cartridge now. Okay. So what it's going to do is it's going to use is the running PSG OS 9? for sound playback. Um, there's one catch on this one, though. The PSG needs to be in slot one um if it's not there it's not going to work i couldn't uh program my auto detect from a rom uh, i could if it was running off uh, an sd card but uh, because uh, the way it needs to check um, it just wasn't going to work but that's fine um so this is obviously let's see what let's see what this looks like or sounds like so it sounds a bit darker. The PSG has got uh, definitely some darker tones. Sound effects are pretty much the same. Okay. 
Okay, and now we're going to put the uh, Game Master cartridge in. Okay, so that's this one. This one obviously doesn't need the, doesn't use the PSG. It uses itself. <laughs> and this is the difference, I guess. So if you shoot the sun, will it go black? <laughs> I don't believe so. <laughs> cool. Well, that's my demonstration. Uh, for those that purchase the any copy whatsoever, they'll also get this uh, PSG version. Simon, that's, that's kind of cool that he's actually supporting two of the sound devices because that's one thing we've, we've talked about and other shows have talked about, about having so many different sound card options now. It's, it's kind of hard to pick. And he's actually picked to choose to support two of them uh, as well as the Coco VGA. So this is a really nice uh, upgrade for the Coco 1 and 2 people. And if you already have one of the PSGs, you're, you're ready to go. And if you order the Game Master one, you actually get a copy of the uh, PSG one as well. So if you have both sound cards, and I believe David Ladd, I think you're one of the people that does have both of those, don't you? Yes, I have the GMC the PSG, and of course the uh, Mega Mini. So if he was to ever add, to add the Mega Mini support, I'd be able to test that as well. I, be I believe Mr. Alan Murphy might be able to help him a bit with that. So anyway, yeah, he's, he's actually shipping the actual cartridges now uh, based on the Game Master cartridge design, and he's also including the software for the PSG version. So th those are available now. I noticed he uh, unplugged and plugged the card in without turning off the multi-pack. Yeah, but he shut the cocoa off, so I mean, that should be okay. Yeah, but the multi-pack's still on. Well, I, well does a two-slot have its own power, too? I can't remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah it is. I've got a two-slot, and it, there is power. And, yeah, I was going to make a comment on that, but I wasn't going to be a stickler. But, yeah, I, the MPI should always... You don't want to do that what I'm gathering? <laughs> But yeah, the, the MPI should always be shut off as well when you're yeah. putting or removing cards. Otherwise, you still run the risk of shorting out the bus and frying components. Well, heck, didn't Tandy uh, do that on their ads? Yeah, well, you're counting your life on that sh slightly shortened track on the 5-volt line yeah. to get the card connected before the power comes up to the card. And Yeah, and if you go a bit of cockeyed in there, you'll, you might short it out with another pin. Sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. Tandy's uh, pockets were deep. They could just bring another one out. Right, right. So the salesman would just hold down the reset button, change the ROM pack, and let go of the reset button, and away it'd go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of course, you could do like Danielle does and just plug in two multi packs with the power on to both <laughs> simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> I still have shutters up my spine every time I, I think of that. That was insane. Okay, so next up we have Richard Kelly's posted his reference map guide for his version two, the Binary Adventure game, which is a game he put up on Facebook for download a little bit earlier. Um, he does mention that the map gets complicated enough that this will prove quite helpful because this is one of those adventure games that has those like infinite loops in certain directions and things, you know, where it's not quite logical, but a lot of the games, Pyramid 2000 from Tandy did that, for example. 
So this uh, this map download you can get from the uh, color computer group in Facebook will help you kind of get through that without actually giving you like every secret of the game too. So, and I guess he'd promised to put this up a while ago and he kept forgetting but he finally got it up. So. Mikey said that uh, he thinks that Ed said that the um, Mega Mini and the regular <laughs> Mega uh, both shut off when you power off the Coco, even though they still have power to them. Oh, really? So, oh, really? Okay. That's that'd a be kind of cool. I, I didn't know that. Ed, if you're listening or or, or watching yeah. here, if you want to just you know verify if that's correct or not. Well, I, I, I don't think they have a power switch. I mean, so you'd have to unplug. You have to unplug the cord. Yeah. 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 I have mine on like I have my whole Coco system on a power switch that my mega minis on so i just shut the whole you know the monitor the cocoa everything goes off at once yeah i always use the power strip as well unless he's got like a some sort of sleep circuit in there that monitors the cocoa yeah i don't know yeah. so ed if you're out know. there please please verify that yes or no that'd be interesting to know if that is true because that would be nice to know we could have a new blow-up section of our show. <laughs> yeah. we'll, start up, we'll start up a new page that Ron puts up on Facebook for blown yeah. cocos. And yeah. why did Ed do this? Yeah. <laughs> uh, magic, the magic smoke section. Yeah, like yeah. that guy that does electronics and always winds up getting shocked. Oh, Electro Boom. <laughs> yeah, remember that? <laughs> He's so funny. He is. Yeah, that was just that was just me when I was trying to do electronics, which is why I don't anymore. Yeah, we, we should have a live shot of your hair getting burned when you're trying to solder. That'd be cool. Actually, the sad thing is that happened more than once. Oh. That's why his hair is so short now. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> yeah, those, those roots are permanently burned off now and don't go back anymore. So Anyway, it takes back on track here. So next one up, uh, Fabrizio Caruso. He plays second in the 10-liner uh, the basic programming contest, which is a cross-platform for the old eight bits uh, for doing programming in basic. Jim Gary takes part in it every year and some other people have as well. And he actually placed in the pure 120 because that's different subcategories. They have ones where the lines are not allowed to be over 80 columns. Uh, there's the pure 120, which is 120 columns. And you got the, you know, the stuff, the lines as full as they can get type thing. And uh, his game here called Minds Plus actually uh, ranked second. Uh, this is cross platforms. This is going against Ataris and Sinclairs and a bunch of other things. So that's a pretty, pretty good uh, coding. And he's got the game available for download here on his own GitHub. And he's also got the uh, source code available if you want to take a look at that as well. And he's got a little bit of a video here, which I will play now. That seems a bit loud to me. I'm going to turn that down. That's just right. Was it? Or are you yeah. being sarcastic? That's good. Now, I haven't had a chance to try this game, so I'm not really familiar with what the gameplay is, but. It flips colors once in a while. Yeah, it goes between the screen modes. I will mention, actually, one of the people that's a regular in the Migos and actually does some of its own streaming uh, goes under the name of 48K Ram. He's an Atari guy. Sloopy, you'll like him. Um, but he's actually was one of the judges in, in the show this year, and he's actually participated as a programmer for years back, and now he's actually one of the judges. So I don't know if he was involved in helping select this particular one or not, but uh, if you guys have any questions for, about the contest in general, he's probably be a good person to ask. And I know he occasionally watches us here in Coco Talk as well. So I got two or three of his opera albums. <laughs> uh, next up, uh, Trey Tomes here is working on porting a game uh, from the PC, which used the hardware text mode with the extended ANSI graphics 
text characters that the PC supported. And we covered it a little bit last week because he created a special character set uh, to do this with. And uh, now he's actually been starting to do some you know, sample level layouts for it. And the game is a ZZT, I think it's called. It's kind of a rogue style game from what I understand. Um, so this is kind of his very first screen uh, mock-up here where he's got you know, just a couple numbers and some of the special symbols and a little bit of the mapping with the shading and stuff here uh, as a first example. And then a little bit later, he, he posted a, a couple of more actual in-game style screenshots here. So you can see, you know, here's an armory and hallways, et cetera, going. And then uh, sort of a status screen here as well, too. So he's making some pretty good progress on it. And he's using a special version of the IBM PC font, similar to what Todd Wallace did that we've got included in Nitrous 9, except he's got the full 256 character set here, whereas the Nitrous 9 one only does 224 because the control characters are reserved for internal codes. Now, there's a way to get around that. You can just define two fonts. You can do the 224 character set that Todd's already done. Then you can take those first 31 or 32 characters, create a second font with those, and then you just have to do a print character string with an offset. And then you can actually just switch between fonts willy-nilly whenever you need those extra ones. Because I think they had stuff like playing card symbols and I don't remember what else is in that particular area, but there's a few extra characters you can use. But anyway, the game looks like it's progressing quite well. He's actually got it, you know, basically printing with color and everything else and all the various character sets and screen looks like pretty good. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm a huge fan of the roguelike games. Um, like what do you think uh, ZZT stands for? I have no idea. I think he might have even mentioned what it was on the last last one. So check last week's episode, Ron. I think it was in there. Okay. <laughs> Okay, next up, Robert Sieg uh, put up this here, and this is um, kind of related to uh, a, another story that's going to be the regular news, because he's actually created, we showed last week, he has this little graphic editing thing where it switches to this text screen to edit a, a zoomed up 32 by 16 version of the graphic screen, so you can just edit it you know, using text characters that's fast, and then he puts it back to the graphics. And one of the reasons he was creating this thing for editing this is that he can create you know, kind of sprite-like images here. So this is actually... A sample he did kind of showing it with some Mario characters at the 128 by 96 by four color mode on the MC10. And he did all these various you know, Mario and various uh, things. And it basically, if you wanted to write a game using this, and I believe the MCX basic supports get put, if I remember correctly. So you should be able to actually do this in basic too on an MC10. So you can actually make some pretty decent arcade games. So I'm kind of curious where he's going to take this. Uh, next up, we have Ken of Canadian Retro Things. He put up a video. Now, he, of course, he did our video for the game on Challenge, as, as he does every week uh, for Gazon. But in this particular case, he's actually taking a look at some of the old uh, either generic computer books of typing in games or some of the ones that were Coco-specific. So he kind of goes through and shows you a few of the ones that he has in his collection so far here. Um, that's one of the generic ones. But basically, these were books you would buy at the bookstore or sometimes at the computer store, and they would go in and you just type in these basic games and play them. And he actually goes through and plays some of the games here, too. He also shows you how awesome the graphics look on the actual you know, pages of the book itself, and you're having these high expectations. That's not quite what you get when you actually type the game in. But some of the games are quite fun, as he pointed out, too. So he's got one here called Speedboat, which I'll play a little bit of. When I was a kid, I actually... Uh tinkered around with this program a lot. So Look, I there's made... a couch. 
<laughs> so obviously we know now that Nightmare Highway is a complete ripoff of this game you know, uh-huh. back in the early days. So. Right. Is there anyone on the panel who hadn't written one of these road racer games like this? Oh no, this one's different. This is a boat and water. So this is totally different. Totally different. Though I have to say this one does add in some unique things like having to steer between these little and bits table. and you have to collect things as you're going down too instead of the standard like Dick Rick said we just wrote it so you just scroll the screen and basically just zip back and forth trying to dodge the edge of the road type thing so end table and couch <laughs> here's another one where it's building a maze that you have to solve now you had to speed it up because the actual you know, generating the maze is quite slow uh, but then you have to basically navigate the maze after it's randomly playing. generated it as fast as you can type thing I always liked these too when I was when I was young because it was kind of like you know the ones you'd see in the newspaper and stuff except it would just make a new one every time you want. Spurred my imagination along. Was a bit of a longer program to type in. This one's called Getaway. I mean, look at those pictures. They really do sell these uh, programs with the just the the artwork that they do in these books. And finally, here is Getaway. This is the graphics you actually get. <laughs> and I got a C, so I escaped. And you a touch disappointing after seeing the graphics, but I mean, and your game is over. the game itself from this this, this, so this particular one actually sounds kind of fun too. It's a bit of an original one. And there were some other games he did where he was not that impressed, like this one here, where you know it, it basically everything that you're trying to shoot is always in the same spot on the side type thing. It doesn't really vary as much as it should for a fun game. Anyway, he did a couple more games past that too. And like I said, some of the books are Cocoa specific, in which case you do some of the colored graphics blocks here, like he's showing on these ones here. But he's got a few others that he typed into that are completely generic text because they're meant to run on any 8-bit. And of course, the graphics was all different. And the, you know, some Ed Petsky, some of the character strings, the Model 1 and 3 had the two by three blocks of black and white. So it just depended on which machine. So they just wrote for the common denominator. So whoever that was, okay. Bless you. So I go check that out. Uh, he's got a nice 20 minute video on, on a bunch of the games that he did with, with sample gameplay on some of the games that he typed in. Uh, next up, Frodo NL, our friend from the Netherlands, actually uh, did a couple of pretty decent streams here uh, involving the Coco in some way, shape, or form. So this one is one he actually did a few weeks ago. I think I mentioned it was on Twitch Live. It's now been posted to the Amigos uh, channel on YouTube, so you can watch it at your, your own volition. But this was one taking all the various versions of Manic Miner on 12 different systems and comparing them. So like what I'm showing here is the original Spectrum version, which is what the originally was written for. And then a little bit later, he goes into the uh, Dragon Coco version, which was uh, black and white, but basically the exact same graphics because the mode the Spectrum used was 256 by 192, which matches identically to the Coco and the Dragon. The difference was they had that special you know, tiled color thing that you could define colors and blocks behind the foreground and background colors so you could actually add some color but you also get that colored bleed effect when you're going between them so but he goes through a bunch of the other ones too so you can kind of compare with the different versions like Commodore 64 versions what they look like and Ataris and you know, all kinds of things so it's a pretty interesting video if you want to go through kind of the history of Manic Miner including into much more modern systems and what they've done with it since so they've added like musical soundtracks and super fancy graphics etc so that's kind of cool and then one he just did this week live I uh, and this we kind of worked together a little bit on because I gave him a list because he, he's been doing these series on uh, some of the old 8-bit machines 
called the first year of, and it basically picks the games that came out the first year of the computer's existence. Now on some of these, he's cheated a little bit because the first year, sometimes people are just learning the hardware. So not much comes out for a while. And the Coco one is no exception in that case. Cause I mean, it came out, it was announced in the summer of 1980. It didn't actually go on sale until probably about September, October. Then there was some problem with the SAM chips because the SAM chip was the last chip designed that was put into the Coco one. And there were some problems with some of the original versions of the chip. So Tandy had to do a recall and replace a bunch of them. So basically that set things back a bit. So basically we extended this to go from like 1980 through the end of 81. Now, one issue he hit, and I've, I've found this too, the Color Computer Archive on some of the titles of the games will list the year of release. Those are not always right. Uh, there's been a few here that he's pulled in and it says, you know, it's written in 1980 or 81. Then you look at the copyright screen on the game itself as is 1982. So he's got a few games that kind of snuck in here that are actually from later years. Now, I did notice this too. Like I actually was playing uh, Clowns and Balloons for the Game On Challenge. Uh, my cartridge has a copyright 1980 on the label on the cartridge itself. And it's an original Clowns and Balloons. It's not a, like a remade one. The game itself didn't come out till after that. So I don't know if Tandy just had a generic piece of artwork they sometimes stuck on as part of the label background and just never bothered to change it when the copyright date changed. So I understand why he got confused in this, but he goes through a, a fair number of the games. Um, a lot of them are the Radio Shack ones, of course, because the very beginning, that's pretty well you're going to get. Um, so he plays like Backgammon and you know some other ones too. Castle Guard was one of the ones that should have been committed to. Um, but then he gets into a few of the third party ones. So he's got like Cave Hunter from Mark Data Products. We actually did a little bit of playing of the original text version of Black Sanctum by uh, Mark Data Products 2, the original text version of the adventure game. It was later redone with graphics for the 32K Coke was a couple of years later. But it's a nice little history. I mean, this gives you an idea of what the programmers were coming out with when the machine first came out. And in the case of the Coco, I mean, that was a unique combination based on the Motorola reference design that not really had been done before. So it was like really fresh and new, whereas sometimes you get a computer that, you know, basically is similar to a previous one. So that, you know, the programs are a bit more advanced on how to use the, the CPU, the graphics, the sound, et cetera. So I always find these fascinating. I've watched some of the other ones he's done, like on some of the other, uh, you know, the Spectrum and some others too. And I always find these fascinating. And he's planning on doing a Coco 3 first year of two, uh, of which Pyramix probably is going to be a part of it because that was one of the ones released in the first year of the Coco 3's release, which is our game on challenge for this week, of course. So definitely well worth it. It's a fairly you know lengthy one. It's just three, just over three hours. And it will be showing up on the YouTube channel probably within a couple of weeks. Um, they kind of stagger those a little bit, but uh, definitely worth, uh, worth taking that move through. I know I should mention too, he's playing these on his mister. Next up, uh, Zero Hour, Chapter 4. So we've actually got the author here on the call. Uh, Nick, did you want to talk about something or do you want me to just play the video preview first and then you talk oh, about just it? Just play the, yeah, there's not really much more than just showing some of the sounds I put in there. So no, I can talk while the video is going, maybe. Well, if you're talking, we can't hear the sound. Hey, oh, well, <laughs> yeah, of course. So well, let me, let me yeah. play for a bit and then we'll let Nick talk. All right, yeah. <laughs> it gives me a few more minutes to sleep. He has that machinery sound down great. 
Yeah, and the background noise actually kind of pulses with the cogs too, which it actually matched up quite well. I will mention that lunging sound, that hoot sound, I, I call that the Vegemite tasting sound myself, because that's the <laughs> same reaction I have when I taste Vegemite. But. Realistic sounds. <laughs> And some of these Nick is designed to be a bit more subtle. They're not meant to be right in the foreground. Yeah. I mean, most of these will make sense in the game, of course, itself. You're going to have your voice in there somewhere? Oh, no, no, probably not. <laughs> Don't want to detract the game already. This is a, a Star Trek DS9. Uh, Elevator sound that was before. You know, that's about the end of it. So basically, the, the video you saw last week uh, in the previous um, blog didn't have any sound only because I didn't have any sound samples in there. The sound routine was running, but there was no sound samples. So all I've done in this chapter is add some sound samples. Um, which I just grabbed off the internet. You can just download heaps of free WAV or MP3 format audio files. And it's just a matter of trolling through the uh, internet, looking for anything that's suitable. And then I edit them in Audacity so I can shrink their size or trim just the parts I want. And then I, uh, I've got a basic program that then takes that <coughs> WAV file and imports it into the cocoa, lets me position it in memory and save it as a block. So at the moment, there's 49K of RAM in the game that I've allocated for sound samples. And most of those sounds are little spot sound effects. So as, as the video was showing, they're, they're meant to just sort of happen. For example, when you jump, you get that little Vegemite lunge sound that Curtis mentioned and and uh, there's a few little explosions and things. But in the game, of course, they'll get played at the appropriate time. Uh, at, with this demo, I've just got it. So I press the keys one to one to, to zero that, to trigger a sound. So just for testing purposes. And, and, and that, that's basically all I've done in this, um, in this chapter. Um, It'd be cool to have like Clint Eastwood in there, make my day. Well, you can, but the thing is, wave files do take up a lot of RAM. So before you know it, you've got this program, which is just eating up RAM. Um, I, I like to try to keep my programs a bit tight, you know, and, and, and not just overblow. I mean, you could just go ahead and just load up the RAM, but there's no need. You can actually... Optimize and, and plus the in side. your case, you want to be able to run it off of real floppies. And if you start doing like huge samples, you're going to have to say insert disk 27 well, and hit I'm, enter. I'm, <laughs> not really, I'm not really thinking of uh, oh, real floppies. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, but yeah, they're all fairly real sand, sounding sounds. They're the sort of things that uh, the sound chips can't do either. Um, I mean, you're playing with 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 actual sound effects. The fidelity, of course, uh, isn't as 
as good as what the, the, the original WAV files are because I have to uh, tailor them down to a sample rate that works within the uh, COCO's interrupt driven routine. I mean, the higher the you set that, the better the quality, but then it just eats up RAM and slows down your game like anything. So it's a compromise. And I'm running at about 7,000 kilohertz, which is really pretty low. But yeah, if you play with the sound in, in something like Audacity on the PC or a Mac, you can try tune it a bit so it uh, isn't too bad. Um, and anyway, yeah, and so the frequency that you, the, the, the timing that you pick for that is also based on <clears throat> what else your game is going to be doing. So if you have a game that's more of a, say, a strategy game, um, you can do a higher sampling rate because you're not seeing oh, yeah. as much graphics around. Yeah, it all depends on your game. If, if your game needs more CPU time, then you have to trim your 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 playback time on your samples, obviously. But yeah, yeah if it's a board game of some sort, yeah, you can have better sounds as long as you've got the RAM to, to store them. Um, Certainly beat your normal bloops and bleeps. Thank you. Yeah, yeah that's all yeah. they are. Just bleeps and bloops and the occasional explosion and this game doesn't have it but you can have gunshots and whatever else like my last game and you can sound pretty good but when you get put them all in there and i noticed one thing that you did is you you kept the sounds fairly short because they're you yeah, know like and they're short yeah yeah again i'm trying to conserve ram because you can, you can go nuts and make a big long sample and before you know it you've just blown 64k and and the 6809 only addresses 64k at a time yeah. at maximum. Uh, otherwise, you have to start banking in and banking out. And it just becomes an absolute mess trying to do things. And I'm trying to keep it, you know, um, workable so it doesn't drive me nuts or more right. nuts. It's not like a modern PC where you have just reams of memory and oh, yeah. hardware for playing the samples too. Oh, gigabytes. Oh, that's nothing. <laughs> and a spare CPU core as well. So, hey. Well, also, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, also, you got to bear in mind modern PCs have sound hardware that are, you know, the yeah, computer's yeah. not doing anything to play the sound and you get this high quality audio from the PC. Well, I guess well your MP3 sound. card kind of does that. I mean, that's the reason you yeah, create that. I do have an MP3 card. No, I, I, I may even make this game support that later on. But at this stage, I'm just thinking, trying to keep it running on a bear the the minimal system which is uh a 512k coco 3 if okay, you have a coco one <laughs> well no no coco one <laughs> no 4k well, coco one 4k yeah <laughs> yeah that's gonna be quite. awfully small digitized samples on a yeah 4K I, 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 I couldn't <laughs> do it in that, that sort of ram but um yeah i mean to give you guys an idea when i when i digitize the uh the coco talk theme song the, the original bruce moore rock and roll version of it and we put it on the EOU. It's 1.8 meg, I think, for the whole thing. And I chopped that down to like 8 bit and maybe 8 kilohertz or 11 kilohertz or something like that. Mono instead of stereo. So we cut it right down. But And it's a minute and a half song. And it took almost the entire 2 meg on a 2 meg machine to play. Like you couldn't run much anything else. It would cut it off because it ran out of RAM. Yeah. And that's the, only a minute and a half. The game assets, the graphics, and the sound use up a lot more RAM than what the actual code does. I mean, I think the code will probably end up being no more than 8K for the whole game when I'm done. So 8K for the code and oodles more for the sound effects and graphics, but that's just the way the, the games are now. The games are nowadays. 
if you want well, to have it's just always how especially when you're working yeah. in assembly the logic is you know i wrote a program once and and it was complicated it had a, an opening and and then it, it did a bunch of different things and when i got done it was like like 40 bytes or something <laughs> so yeah. ridiculous you yeah. know i was like wow <laughs> and you put one sound effect if you want to use samples and blow, you blow that by four times <laughs> yeah yeah but oh well they do sound good though and the routine in there does work with the code i mean uh, the animated background that i've got there and and when the game's all done we'll be able to run it well essentially full speed no interruption and the sound effects work um, pretty well on their own without interrupting it at all. So it's it's quite smooth. Yeah, I mean, when you, when you show the graphics demo of the cog spinning last week without the sound, I mean, if you take a look at what you have now with dual sounds, because you have the original, you know, background ambience effect that you've got the you know the motory motors running yeah. in the background. Plus, when you're hitting keys, you're actually getting the different sound effects sounding, and it doesn't slow the cogs down at all. I mean, it's still running no, the same well, speed you ran last well, week. Well, well, they were the, the sound routine was running last time as well. It's just that it had nothing to play, so yeah. it was just sitting there quiet. So it was really running back then as well. But uh, uh, actually, that that ambient sound is, um, yeah, it, it it it's quite good. It gives it gives a bit more depth to the background, so it feels more like a real machine running in the background. But I've kept it low. I I, I know that. Having a drone happening, a drone sound playing in the background constantly, it's going to drive people nuts. It drives me nuts. So yeah. I've got it really soft so that it's just there, like almost like a background hum. Uh, yeah, like all those people the... here talking on Cocoa Talk, we're kind of an ambient droning sound that everybody hates too. So that, that works. Oh, that's what, oh, it's people talking. I thought that was my uh, droning sound. <laughs> no, it's, <laughs> yeah, so I keep it soft just so it's there in the background. To, to give you a sub subliminal feeling that you're in a big factory. Yeah. And the, and the fact that you time is. it with the cog spinning so that the you get that little bit of a pulse in the sound, it's not just a flat. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was planned. Yeah, it kind of matches the teeth, you know, type of thing. So <laughs> hey Nick, I got a question regarding that. Are you when you put the graphics, the things that are moving? When you when you're going to be putting you haven't gotten that far yet, but when you get to the point where you're putting the graphics on the screen, I know that you got you got like four frames, right? Because of the gears, you got yeah. four different. Yeah, yeah, yep. So are you going to be like putting the graphic up, displaying the screen, and then you know setting up the next screen, switching yeah. over to that, and then yeah. removing what was on the previous screen? Ah, you... well, well, this well, yes and no. One of the things with my graphics engine that I have here, the one I, I've modeled from the from my Gunstar game, is I don't have to actually remove anything. The the engine, the underlying engine does that automatically almost by the way it works. So I just have to draw the 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 characters on the screen, and when that's all done, I display the finished screen. So you you know you see a nice clean screen just appear and then while that's being displayed the engine automatically refreshes the next screen that's going to be drawn with a fresh background with the cogs already moved the platforms are already in place so as far as my code's concerned all i do is once i've displayed the last screen then start drawing on the new screen 
the, the, the engine is taking care of cleanup, cleaning up the mess, basically. <laughs> so, it, but is it cleaning up by, rem, by replacing it's, it's, what it's, was it's there? Replacing, or it just... yeah. It's already it's automatically copying the next frame that it's got to display into the old video buffer, so that you start with a fresh video buffer. So hence I say all you have to worry about is just putting the sprites on there. Because the yeah, so basically your background of the cogs themselves, which you have four different positions that you rotate through, and then the tiles that you overlay on top of that, you pre-render that on four different screens. And then you yeah. block copy whichever one's the active one to the active video frame you're going to be displaying. Yeah. And then you just overlay the sprites on top of that. Hence why the, the, the program does use a lot of CPU time because it is doing a big block copy to restore that background. Okay, so you're just copying the entire the entire cog. next frame. Yeah. yeah. Min that's minus cogs. the status on the bottom. That that's minus the status right, on the bottom. Right. But it's the okay. cogs and the platforms. They're all on the one screen. Yeah, and they're already so, pre, you know, ordered and anded together. They're already so they're, pre done. Yeah. That's you're not, you're not manually redrawing that every frame either. That's just you do it though no. render at the beginning and go. Hey, all Nick, I have to do. Yep. Next year when um, Ed comes out with a surround sound unit. Are you going to support that? <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? I was waiting for the brain link where you just plug the a cable into the back of your neck and then you can just sit in a chair and play the game that way in your sleep. <laughs> and you could have surround sound in your brain. You can have whatever you want. <laughs> anyway, thanks. Thanks um, for the update, Nick. I know you're working, as you mentioned on your blog, uh, you're working on doing some uh, COG backgrounds. You yeah, want, you so want to have different levels have different, you know, cog backgrounds, so it looks. Yeah, so there'll different. be four different cog backgrounds just to vary the background a bit between levels. <coughs> um, and and I've, I've almost finished that part as well. So um, next chapter won't be too far off. Um, although I do want to get a title page and the and the high school page up. Everyone, I get a lot of criticism, criticism saying, why do you do title pages and high scores first? Why don't you do the game like normal people would do? Say, well, I'm not a normal person. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can always, vouch for that. <laughs> I, I always do the title page and then the last page, the high school page, and then I fill the middle in. I, I've always done it that way. I always try to think linear. You know, that's the start of the game. It's the title page. That's the first part I'll do. But anyway, that's the way I work. And, yeah, and it works for you. I mean, you complete projects. It works I, for me, I, yeah. I don't. <laughs> I just so, I've been in development now since, what, 1992, and I'm still not done? I mean, that will let you know where I am. <laughs> I mean, thanks All for right. the update, Nick. Uh, next up, we have Jim Gary. He's actually – oh, sorry, go ahead, Nick. Yeah, one more thing. Uh up in the chat, uh, Ken wants to know if the elevator gets stuck. Oh, you mean like a Cocoa Fest? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I, I, my he, elevators. <laughs> I he was talking about he doesn't want too much, you know, sampling in there. And all the swearing we were doing, we were trapped in the elevator. We take a lot of sample space. So I don't know if he really wants to support that. <laughs> That'll be the, the limited edition Cocoa Fest version. <laughs> <laughs> too meg required for all those swearing samples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay right, so next, next up next, we have go ahead yeah next up go ahead okay uh so jim gary um does doing something a little bit different this time so he's actually taking a poll and he's been doing all these compiled games with greg dion's mc10 basic compiler 
uh, which we've showed off on the show here over the last few weeks. And he's actually planning on doing something a bit different. He's going to have a high score challenge based on only his compiled games. You get to pick which ones you want. And that's what this, this poll is for here to pick. So far right now at the moment, uh, Scramble is number one, Jailbreak, Load Runner, and Qbert are also on the list right now with some votes. And he's actually going to have a prize. So whoever gets the highest score will get a type in Mania mug, which I think he has a picture of. Yeah, right down here. So that's the mug you would win. And all you have to do is just play an MC10 game. So right now he's just taking the poll to see what game is going to be selected. And this has to be from the ones that he's compiled. So that limits the list from the thousands of games he does normally to, you know, just a dozen or so at this point. I don't know if he's going to have any more compiled games out before the poll is actually finalized. Um, but it would be an interesting uh, project for people that just like to play the games and then you are into the programming to uh, try out some of his, it gives you a good excuse to try out some of his compiled games in the MC10. And these also work on the MC10 emulators. You can actually load them up online. There's an online MC10 emulator where you can actually have it preload from a file locally on your computer. So if you, you know, one of these games gets picked, you can actually just send that to the emulator on the web and play it right there. You don't even need a real MC10. So it'd be interesting to see what, uh, what game gets picked first of all, and then see how people do and who gets the mug. And I think he's currently talking about a, around a mid to late May as a deadline. I'm not sure if he meant that the deadline to pick the game to play or if that's a deadline to actually get the scores and I'll have to verify that with Jim later on. Next up, we have a video from uh, Kieran Sixie, the author of Explorer. So this is the anniversary edition of his Dungeons ports to the Cocoa or Dragon. And in this case here, there's a version for the GMC that actually does the background sound on a Dragon 32 or a 32K Cocoa. This here is demonstrating the 64K version that actually does some uh, multi-voice sound playing in the background in software. So this does not require the hardware to do. So I thought I'd play it for those of you who've not seen it. It's a free download on, on his uh, site, so. Nice volume effects he's got on it. I should mention this is a port from another platform that he did a few years back. Um, it's on the original game and it's loosely gauntlet-ish, but not quite. Actually, one thing I like about it above gauntlet is that actually it, it has four different areas of the screen for the four players and you actually get to play your own. Like in gauntlet games, you all the players have to be on the same physical screen. So you, if one person going left, one person going right, you end up both stopping because it doesn't let you go off the screen. This actually keeps everything separate. Now, in this case, he's only showing a one-player demo of it. But if you walk to different rooms, then the other players can go to completely different rooms. And when you cross paths again, you can actually see each other. So you can actually strategize and you, know, you go get the key over here. I'll go kill the monsters by this door type things so that actually makes the uh, cooperative play, I think, a lot better. Anyway, it's a really fun game. You should definitely go give it a shot. And if you have the uh, 64K RAM version, you can, of course, you have, you have the background music there. Or if you have the GMC, you can do it on the 32K one. Now this here is another one uh, that Sixie had just recorded. He's actually got some uh, recording hardware now, so you can record some of the stuff off the real, real Cocos and real Dragons. So this here is a smooth scrolling demo we showed before. 
except this time he's recorded on real hardware instead of XROAR. And he's also got artifact enabled. Now this is doing his smooth scrolling demo using some tricks on the VDG and this, I think just the VDG, not even the SAM um, that we kind of talked about last week when he was doing it with text characters, but this is using graphics. I don't know if this is going to turn to a full game. He's still expecting to see how much CPU time he has and what kind of a game he can design to fit it. But this will show you some sprites running back and forth across the screen while doing a smooth scroll, while updating a little score table, you know, quite quickly in the background. And remember, this is Cocoa 1 and 2 level here. This is not Cocoa 3. And just at the stock 0.895 megahertz. It's really good. Yeah, yeah I mean, good. to get that kind of speed with smooth scrolling, I mean, in software doing a stack blast, even you can't get it going that smooth. So it's a really cool trick. And the fact he's got the sprites moving across, it's really cool. It's nice to see this stuff as demos, but I mean, this has the potential to turning into a real game that really pushes the, the hardware. And I wonder how it's keeping the score in the top left. Well, my understanding is, is that it's changing modes because you can fool it into restarting the scanline ah, timer. Like a scanline. Like yeah, what scanline okay. number it's doing. So, so you basically just turn it off for that little portion. Then you start yeah, right. it yeah, in, that's in the horizontal border from what I understand. Yeah. Cool. This one here is a quick plug for the Amigos. They've got the next Coco Show came out this week, past week, which is uh, their review of Rescue on Fractals. Um, I won't play because it it's you know, half an hour show type thing. And you definitely should go check it out on your own. Um, it actually does mention near the end uh, some of the optimizations I did, you know, from six through nine, and uh, you know the Gimme X and stuff like that too, where the speed increase is pretty drastic. Out of all the six through nine patches I've done, this is the game I did the most extensive patches to. And in fact, the 6809 version is a good 12, 15% faster than the original Tandy version as well. So even those of you that don't have the upgrade, you should definitely go grab the uh, 6809 optimized version from the Color Computer Archive, which actually is now available as a separate disk image that you can download and just run it on its own. You don't have to get EOU or anything like that if you don't want to. And it'll, that version will still run on 128K too, because EOU, with everything else preloaded, it, it takes 512. So, so is the optimized will... version the picture on the bottom, is it? Yeah, that, that took a bit, you know, tricky programming to do that there, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Smart ass. Um, case. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Last one here is uh, Cuthbert Dragon, who kind of had yanked down the page and he's done this a couple of times. I'm not quite sure. If he just I don't know if he just wants to refresh things or what he's doing here. But he's got his page back up with some dragon stuff. And he's actually thrown a few games that we have not seen on his page before, like Sewer Rat I'd never seen before. The Dragon, you know, PMO3 versions of stuff like Moonhopper and Glackstacks I'd never seen before. I don't know because the show is probably going to be running pretty long as it is. I don't know if I want to, uh, you know, play a bunch of them now. But he's got, you know, uh, you know over 25 games on there right now that he's, he's thrown on. If you guys have a special request for any particular one or two you want to see, I'll show those. But Moonhopper. You want to see that in all of its female three glory? Eh? Well, I don't think I've seen it. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> it looks so better many, in artifacting. So many colors. <laughs> this is an MG Lustig uh, from uh, what do we call his company? Arcade Animation Inc., I think it was. They did Wacky Food and Moonhopper and a couple other games. A weird set of wheels. Is it a well, It's a tractor tread, basically. It's like it's hovering. 
personally, I think it looks better in the artifact mode, but yeah, Pal, yeah, Pal, you didn't have the option anyway. So, anyways, it's, it's pretty cool. He does these videos. I just don't understand why he keeps yanking them down and kind of like restarting from scratch every time. So, I'm probably not going to be mentioning his page too many more times in the future unless he's got some game that we've never seen before. I've at least I've never seen before. The dodo um, or doo-doo? <laughs> doo-doo. I think. Anyway, if you want to check out some dragon stuff, and these are shot on a real dragon off of a real CRT with a camera. So this is not emulated in any way, shape, or form. This is running the stock software on the stock hardware type thing. And that is the end of the game on news. Okay. Why don't you say we take a break? I agree. We don't need to replace the carpet. <laughs> yeah, we've discovered what happened when Stevie tried to do that. So, and you're you are watching Coco Talk, the world's leading weekly video podcast featuring a candy-colored computer. We spread the love to the past, present, and future for all models, including the original color computer, the Coco Three, and the world-renowned exclusive French Hi, this is Eddie Zerbinski from beautiful Quebec City. Vous écoutez Coco Talk. As you're enjoying Coco Talk, we also want to remind you about the Coco Discord server. This is a place where people come to connect, to ask questions, to provide answers, to share information, and to socialize. So when you're done, why don't you head on over to the Coco Discord server and we'll continue the conversation there. The easy to remember link is discord.cocotalk.live. See you on Discord. Coco123 is the Glenside Color Computer Club community newsletter that's been in publication since 1985. While the Rainbow Magazine may be gone, it doesn't mean you still can't have a cool Coco periodical. Head on over to the Glenside Color Computer website at glensideccc.com and then click on the Documents link to view all the past issues of the Coco123 newsletter. Not only can you read all of the past and present issues, we'd also love to hear some submissions from you. So if you'd like to send an article, a column, uh, something to talk about, maybe even a program listing, send an email to glensideccc at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. The Coco World Map is a cool community resource where you can view coconuts from around the world. Head on over to map.cocotalk.live and see where your fellow coconutians happen to be living on the planet Earth. If you would like to submit yourself to be on the Coco Map, send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live and we look forward to seeing you on the Coco Map. Hey guys, it's Stevie Stroh, and if you've been watching Coco Talk for a while, hopefully you understand that everyone is welcome to join this show. You don't need an impressive resume to get on. You just need to enjoy the Coco and be willing to talk about it. There is no wrong way to Coco. There is no wrong way to be a fan of the Coco. There's no wrong way to be on Coco Talk. You just have to want to talk Coco. So if you would like to join us, then reach out to us on our Discord server, which is discord.cocotalk.live, or send an email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live, and let's 
get you on the show and let's talk about the cocoa. Hi, I'm Tim and you're watching Coco Talk Live. And I'm playing Daggereth online like that idiot from the book. Uh, can you can you dial back on the condescension there as you respond there? We now return you to Coco Talk. From around the world, what you need to know. Get caught up on news with El Curtis And now a Muppet News Flash. And take it away, Curtis. Okie dokie. Okay, so first up, uh, Simon Jonasson, uh, after seeing the demo that Karen had demonstrated last week, showing some of that smooth scrolling with the uh, VDG screen and mixing modes and stuff and how the whole technique works, uh, put up a couple of things here regarding with mixing modes and doing weird timings. So the first one here is kind of using a technique similar to what Dragonfire the game used. Now that one's rather special because it's the only game we know of that actually changes the mode, not just vertically. There's a few programs that did that but actually changes it horizontally, it changes the color sets. So you actually can get eight colors on the screen at once in P-Mode 3. In fact, sometimes I did it five times per scan line, which takes incredibly precise timing on a less than one megahertz machine. So here he took some screenshots where he's doing the same thing. Let me zoom one of these up here. So basically you can see he's doing, you know, P-Mode 4 artifacting in color set one, and then in color set zero, and then he kicks it into P-Mode 3. And it's kind of mixing all this together here. So he's actually changing it even more than five times per scan line. Now that takes such intense CPU time. I don't think you could really make a game out of it unless you were making like a, a graphical adventure game where a static image is going to stay on the screen or something, um, say the top half or something like that. But it's a pretty pretty cool effect. This, this, this must be how I created that uh, Vegemite sound. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go ahead, Mark. What were you saying? Oh, cut scene between sections you could do, you know. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Anything that's fairly static. I mean, you probably have some CPU time. Or if you did, like I said, a graphical adventure game where you'd say the top half of the screen, you're doing all this wicked timing. The bottom half, you're just having like a standard text input, and then you can take some CPU time to do that. And the next step, he did a, a bit of a video, which is showing the smooth vertical scrolling going between a hardware text screen, semi-graphics, and a graphics screen. Uh, just a quick little demo here. So you can kind of see the sliding stuff in a scan line by scan line basis. Now the 4K demos rock part is just a static image that he used in the background. This obviously takes more than 4K because the the picture on the bottom in P-Mode 4 takes 6K by itself. So obviously this won't run in 4K as is. Um, but it's a pretty cool effect. And it's using that same technique of changing from what I understand anyway, is that it uh, changes the video mode while in the horizontal border area. And that forces the VDG to start recounting where the, you know, what scan line number it thinks it's on is. So rather than having to wait for a hardware text cell to finish, which you'd have to do on semi-graphics and stuff, this actually lets you kind of restart the counter every time. So you can switch between the modes on a pixel line by pixel line basis, which is what he's doing here. Which can do some really neat effects, and Karen's you know demo kind of does some. But the same Mario girly did. used on the last demo. Yeah. Pardon me. Is that the same girly used on the last demo? Yeah. Thankfully, cut it off before you know. I don't know if you guys heard about the big controversy on Twitch this last couple of weeks. They were doing a demo thon for like you know the Atari eight bits and the Amiga and the Atari ST and all these other machines. 
And of course, people in the demo scene in the 90s that were doing all these graphical demos used to put in naked women every once in a while because they're geeks and they're, you know, that's just the way they were. And uh, they, and they end up, Twitch ended up actually yanking the stream live while thousands of people were watching and just banned it. They banned the channel, banned everything, you know, like they basically shut it right down in the middle of the show. And this was actually for a competition for best demo for the various machines. And they ended up having to get an alternate streamer in Europe, which is a bit more liberal with that kind of stuff and uh, finish the show on some totally different platform and apparently are not planning on coming back to Twitch ever again because of it. So I'm glad he actually cut it off for there because we might get in the same trouble. Next up, uh, Trey Tomes. Now we were talking about that port of the ZZT game that he's uh, doing the kind of rogue style game using the IBM character set. This is a shot he did earlier of the actual character set itself kind of demonstrating it. Now, if you look, he's got it kind of masking two different colors, but you look in the very top row, you can see like the happy faces and the card symbols like the you know, hearts and diamonds and clubs and stuff. That first chunk there is the first 32 characters that the Nitrous 9 version don't, does not currently have in it because those are reserved for you know display codes for doing overlay windows and color changes and a bunch of other things. So that's the one we'd have to basically duplicate into a second font and you could switch back and forth. But you could do this under Nitrous 9 too. And the later characters, like the uh, you know the little cursor patterns and stuff, the little you know line drawing stuff, that is in the Nitro Nine one. So if you wanted to write a PC based game and convert it over the Cocoa, would be pretty easy. Next up, uh, Walter Zambotti, who is also the author of OVCC, which is a cross-platform version of VCC, has been working on converting some old Unix-style utilities to OS Nine Nitro Nine. Him and uh, Jeff Tennyson have been working together on figuring out you know quirks of the C compilers because we're dealing with K and RC here. Most of the Unix stuff more recently is, is using much more advanced versions of C. And he actually got awk to work um, after a fair bit of you know mucking back and forth. And it's based on the V732V version from Unix. Uh, it takes almost a full 64K process space to run. So we'll not run on level one. You need level two, Cocoa 3 basically to do it or another level two system like a gimmick or something. But it's actually up and running. Now I've, I've uh, sent a message to him uh, to approach him about including this on the ease of use distribution that is coming up in a couple of weeks here, which is basically be a bunch of you know software updates of various things. I'm hoping to actually have this included for those that want some of the Unix utilities. He's also got the source code available too on his site if you want to take a look at it. I miss my Unix utilities. This will be cool. What does AUK stand for? Or what is it? Rick, do you, you want to give the details on AUK? Because I'm not that familiar with it. Um, Basically, it's a pattern matching language, so you can change anything into anything else on a text file. It's, uh, I mean, you can write programs in awk. It, it's way too hard to make a really short description, but you can change any text file into any other text file using awk and a short script that you made. So if I have a, a task I have to complete over and over, I will write an awk script to do it, and I don't have to keep fixing files every time I need to fix a file. I just let Auk fix it for me. It's autocorrect manual? Pretty much, yeah. Some kind of autocorrect script. You can, okay. well, and I want to, yeah, I want to turn every dollar sign into an and H sign. I can have Auk do it, you know, if I was writing it. Deck it's kind of like a global search and replace on file or files. And, and more, yeah. Cool. So I'm assuming it does like pattern matching and stuff too, like you know any yeah. six character thing that starts with an AF or something like exactly. that. Exactly, and you can go down the regex nightmare. So, 
And the uh, side note is the name of it is actually uh, AWK is the name of the original programmers of it. And it is where originally grep the get regular expression uh, originally started. So you're saying that Ken Reichert's lying on the comments where he says it's called awk because it's awkward to use. No, he's correct. <laughs> well, I mean, we have other tools like said and so forth that do a subset of the things that awk can do, but because awk can do so many things, it's kind of difficult to use. But if you're only going to have one thing, that's the thing to have. Yeah. It's like Pearl. It's very difficult to use, but it does everything. Oh, Pearl's not like that. She's a good dog. <laughs> uh, I think it's James Jones said, Aho, uh, Weingarten, and Kernigan. Oh, okay. Kernigan, as in Kernigan yes. and Richie, the guys who created Richie. C. Yeah. Yes, as in the uh, Brian Kernigan, the uh, C inventor. But you skipped over Aho. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can always remember Aho and Kernigan. I can't remember the W in it. Right. Weingarten. Yeah. James also said it, he'd rather use awk than Pearl. So, right, Pearl can be made legible, but it doesn't have to be, which is its downfall because no enterprise programmer wants their program to be legible. <laughs> is that a Star Trek term? Yeah. Well, well, no. If you're writing for a company, Hello World takes 2,700 lines and requires seven libraries. So, enterprise equals business. Exactly. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> so anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to include that in EOU. Hopefully I'll get permission from Walter to do so. <clears throat> Next up, we have uh, Robert Galt. And he's mentioned here that he's done some patches to his EdTASM, which is his enhanced 6 through 9 capable EdTASM that also supports the 1480 column screens. This is based on the original EdTASM cartridge disk program with a lot of enhancements that Robert's done over the years, which is a commercial product. So he's enhanced it now to also support um, the VHE disks, uh, the virtual hard drive disks, um, either on the SDC, and I'm assuming this works in emulators too, because you can make a hard drive image that actually contains a bunch of RS-DOS drive images within. This was natively done on the Coco to support hard drives for disk basic, basically, because you'd, you'd make one big file that has like 256 disk images, and you just type drive zero, drive 15, drive 204, and it would switch between them instantly. Now that had not been supported before on EdTASM. I believe it supported drive wire drives and then the physical drives, but only did drive zero to three. So now he's added in support to support these ones if you want to transfer it off, say a, a Kenton SCSI drive or you know, uh, the ID drive that uh, Mark Marlette at uh, Cloud9 sold, et cetera, that had these virtual hard drive images that contained all these disk images for floppies up to 256 at once in one file. And now EdTASM, the new version, will natively support that. So you can switch between. So you only have to mount one hard drive image once, and then you can just switch between 256 virtual drives under disk instead of having to like remount. Like on the SSC, now you have to put drive zero comma quote slash uh, games dash C2 slash, you know, gaze on dot disk or something like that, or go through the SDC Explorer. Um, so you, you basically said that uh, it's basically basic basically <laughs> i think i got that right <laughs> yeah basically yeah that's right <laughs> basically it lets you use these virtual hard drive images that embedded disk images and and it does it natively within edtasm itself so you have access to 256 virtual drives without having to remount anything at all it's all you know within the one image you got mounted so you don't have to keep doing these extra drive commands so I i'm see. assuming he does um, nick you can tell me because you actually use his edtasm product 
Um, yeah. Which is commercial. Does he give updates for free or does he eventually charge for those once every few years? Or how does that work? Uh, it's always been free to me. <laughs> I think you're saying you're special then. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> I think it's standard. He, he gives patches out, as I recall. Okay. So once you purchase the actual Edtasm 6309, which I think is the name of the commercial package he does, yeah. which is all the patches for 40 so, column, 80 column, 639 support, this would yeah, be free. It's like free. $35 US, I think, if I remember right. I bought it years ago. So. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I, I know Nick, Nick, Nick swears by it. Because uh, you've used it on every project I think you've done in the last Almost daily. <laughs> No, I didn't say swear at it. I meant, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Works fine for me. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, like, I what, what was the first project you did that you based on that version of the assembler? Like, you've been uh, using it for years. Good question. I can't remember if it was Pac Man or Gate Crasher. So, at least I, 20 I years it, you've been using it. Yeah, I bought it 20 years ago and I'm still using it. And, and Robert has done a few upgrades over the years and, and bug fixes. There were some bugs as well I found for him and he's fixed them up. It, it's working quite well. Yeah. The best thing to say there is Robert supports this product. Oh, yeah. So updates like does. this or bug fixes, if you find some obscure, you know, opcode on a six or nine that nobody really tried before, if there's a problem with it, he will fix it. And he it, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't eventually fixes it. He fixes it pretty well the next day. <laughs> He's very good. 20 yeah. years of no bit rot, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I've, I use it almost daily. Yeah, David, David, Sharon Viri also mentions on, on the comments there that he uses Robert Sixern and Etasm, and it works great. So, right, there's an update for you guys that uh, have Etasm. So, um, you have to contact Robert to get the uh, the update, of course, because uh, since it is a commercial product, he won't just throw it up, you know, for upload on Facebook or the Erica. Next up after that, Barry Nelson uh, has uploaded a special copy of HDB DOS meant for the Coco STC and the Coco Facebook group that you can copy into one of the ROM banks on the STC. And he recommends do not put it in bank zero, which is your standard STC DOS, because then you'll you might break your STC if something goes wrong. So put it in one of the extra banks, basically. Um, and this lets you change a disk offset within a hard drive image to support the virtual disks that HBO supports. Now, this is similar to what Robert's done. It's kind of the same thing, actually, except this is uh, a more generic DOS that handles all this. So you can do the virtual hard drive image you mount once on the SDC, and then you can switch between the 256 RS-DOS drive images within it without having to swap it you know, on the SDC level again. It's just one file the SDC sees. Uh, internally to itself, and then disk basic or HDB DOS in this case will actually see the 256 drives, and you just switch between them with the drive command. So it's kind of the same thing, except it's sent to the whole "quote unquote" operating system at this point. So that's a, a freebie download from him that you can install on your SDC. Especially handy if you had some of the old SCSI drives, the old ID drives, or you know SASE drives back in the day that used these extensions. I think they originally were done. For RGB DOS, I believe, which was the Kenton SCSI interface, um, Roger Krupski's uh, thing. So I think it's based on that, and it's been extended ever since, like the Burke and Burke and a bunch of others use something similar. So this will let you take those hard drive image files and actually copy them onto the SDC and then just run them without having to change them at all. You don't have to split all the disks out and do, you know, copy them one at a time. You can just block copy the whole 256 drive image in one shot. So quite handy if you're switching from real hardware hard drives back in the day to the SDC. 
Next up, uh, Tandy Assembly is now looking for speakers for their October show, which is October 1st to the 3rd this year in Springfield, Ohio. And they're basically looking for uh, assembly speakers and presentations and uh, have an email address you can see here and the link will be provided in the uh, chat. Uh, and then basically because this is Tandy Assembly and not Cocoa Fest, this covers any of the Tierra City and Tandy computers from back in the day. So the Model 1, 2, 3, 4, 4P, um, pocket computers, uh, the Cocos, the Tandy 1000 line, et cetera, Tandy, uh, Model 100s, et cetera. So if you have anything that you would like to talk about or basically do a presentation on at Tandy Assembly, please get in contact with them at the uh, email address on this page and uh, let them know what you want to do, et cetera. And then they'll help you set up when your presentation will be, uh, where it will be, you know, at the facility, et cetera. Okay, this is one I'm going to play more than I usually do for a long video on this one because I thought it was pretty fascinating. And I mentioned it into the pre-show here when we're talking to some of the hardware because we've got quite a few hardware guys on, on the panel here. And basically what this is, is a project. And this uh, this is a place, it's actually Miami-Dade County, which I believe is in Florida. So I was hoping Stevie would be on it because maybe know some of these people from his computer club stuff. Uh, but basically this guy, a YouTube channel called Rocky Hill, I don't know if that's his name or if that's just a pseudonym. He has this video showing his received some clone boards of a Coco 2 that he's ordered to make sure that a KiCad, is that the right pronunciation, schematic works properly? Now, this is part of a thing called the Bit Preserve Project. KiCad? Yes. Yeah, okay. anyone will tell you different. <laughs> it's like GIF and GIF, right on. Um, so basically, uh, this thing called the Bit Preserve Project is a project where they're trying to create KiCad compatible schematics for all the old ancient 8-bit systems so that people can remake the boards, you know, once, they, you know, they're not obviously not manufactured anymore, but they gradually start to die. They get cracked or, you know, ants swarm on it, like in Simon Jonathan's case or whatever, you know, they get damaged. And this is a way to preserve those. We've got, you know, emulators preserving it from a software side. This is preserving from the hardware side. So he had ordered some based on a certain Coco 2 revision board here. And you can see on the bottom is his original Coco 2 and the top, is his KiCad version that he received in the mail. And he actually goes through and he populates it and he was kind of measuring it to make sure it fit properly on the right post so the screws would still work to you know, hook up the, you know, the cartridge connector for the uh, cartridge on the side, make sure that the DIN plugs line up properly to go outside of the case of the Coco 2. And actually this, for a first run of boards, almost everything fit. And he actually got it assembled enough. He was able to fire up Megabug and play it with a joystick with the real cartridge plugged in. So he, he did really well. So I will play a little bit at the beginning and then I'll kind of skip ahead. And uh, I would love to hear some comments from your hardware guys on this. So my first computer was a TRS-80 Color Computer 2. And recently I've contributed to the BitPreserve project uh, by the bald engineer, James Lewis. Actually, I'll skip the unboxing for schematics, the, the meat and potatoes of this. Turn it up here. Let's see what this looks like. That's for sure. Oh man, the bubble wrap thing was good. Everywhere, but check that out. <laughs> and JLC charges extra if the box requires them to tape two of their boxes together to ship it. This looks really nice. I'm just gonna get some okay. light on this. I'm convinced. <laughs> I wonder what version this is. It's got the vertical oriented RF modulator. Against, that helps. Uh, an actual board. That's the, American the original. Yeah, it looks like it's gonna fit. 
but I won't know until I fit it. All right. I wonder if he'll make and the keyboard connection better too. Well, filming with my cell phone. This is rather difficult. Melty key. Okay. Let's get him taking apart a cocoa because I think we all know how that works. And there is the board. So that's the version of the board if that helps oh, you guys. Okay. So now I'm going to disconnect the transformer here. Actually, it was Melty disconnected key because the first I opened it, it not too like long ago. <clears throat> but let's remove the board. Oh, that screwdriver is a little bit too fat. Huh. Let's fit it in there. And holy moly, it almost fits perfectly. It's a little bit too long, but uh, I think that's. I think I can fix that. So it's too long on this edge here. But for testing, I can. There are no traces. There are no traces here. I can just shave that down. Now, have any of the rest of you oh, ever attempted something this like this? Nice. Duplicating a cocoa motherboard? I was worried about these two holes oh. here, and they I've line up drawn perfectly. A cocoa keyboard on on a, a circuit board. And it's almost impossible to get everything right. <laughs> I'm still rearranging keys. So I'm this is a little later when he's actually got some of the, the board, you know, properly assembled. It's looking pretty good. I'm almost there. Uh, it's pretty late right now, so I'm going to stop. And um, I'm assembling it over here with my, you know, interactive bomb. Which is really, really helpful. Wow, look at those flashing things. It looks cool. Anyhow, soon I'll be testing uh, the TRS-80 Color Computer 2 clone. I think it's interesting. Everyone thinks they have a schematic for these things. Actually making a usable schematic out of the pictures that you have is a monumental task. So this is impressive. So here he was just making sure that the layout worked. These are not soldered in yet. So this is a bit earlier from that other picture he showed. Um, let's back it up a little bit here. So this isn't enhanced in any way. It's just a No, it's basically just to clone it so you can actually, like if you have a circuit board and it's cracked, you can just order one of these and then just swap everything over and you're, you're back up. And All right. Gee, it would have been good oh, if he shit. just did a few extras like ditch that RF and put a composite video in there well, I mean, you definitely could. I mean, the, the thing is, you have a working, functional one that all the chips all right. work together properly, like they're supposed all this to. Stuff RAM I found and online, SAM and on DigiKey. Right. So you, you can actually I mean, modify it to do that. So it looks. I mean, familiar. it's part so of this board. I hope you can see. If this. he was redesigning it, get rid of the RF. Yeah, this, yeah but you have to make sure it works first. As, as Rick pointed out, most people that have tried doing this, it doesn't work. Like some little trace that you thought on the schematic said this really isn't right, and then all of a sudden, you know, the RAM refresh doesn't work or whatever weird ha problem happens. This is functioning and working. So now you have a base that you know works. Now you can do the modifications like you're mentioning. Right. It's KiCad. You can change it. <laughs> All right. That. All right, Nick. Just for yeah. you, I'll get it. I'll download it and fix it for a composite video. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Mark. You were saying, Marco Rosa? Oh, I was just going to say, Ed already has, you know, the composite modulators for this. So you just don't transfer the RF one. You just get Ed's and drop it in the spot on the board. Yeah, there I guess go. I. Right. Anything that's ever been made for Coco uh, 2 will fit this. Back of the case, right. as long as I line this end up. 
Yeah, but in the end, are you going to pay three times what a Coco 2 would cost? Okay. Well, if this gets popular yeah, enough and you order it in bulk, then it won't be that expensive. I'll show you this. Right. Yeah. Also, so Coco 2s aren't fit. manufactured anymore. That's yeah. the This main, is a way to replace you know, connectors you know, the motherboards there. as they got a reset switch. I couldn't Either way, it's not going to be cheap because the work involved in putting all the components on it. Yeah. It looks like it lined up. I'm not worried about that too much. Well, you could buy the R populate it yourself. It came out perfect. This still has a damn chip you can't buy. I mean, you can see it. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, there. what you know, what chips can you buy? Um, and then, and not, you know, the what parts can you buy? Perfectly lined up. Buy. You know, I can Actually, fit something in there. I don't have to modify eBay. the case. I, I mean, that's China. the whole idea, not to modify components. the case. And power switch. Well, there. including ROM chips and I'm the I'm quite happy chip. so far. Well, ROM chips, you can just burn your own. That's one. You can still get the ROM chips. It's close enough where I will decide to. Is it legal to do that? and see if it works. So, well, that's where you get in the gray wrong. area because if you're replacing a motherboard that cracked and you have the you original have ROMs, ROM, you already have the ROM. Yeah, yeah. it's totally legal. Huh. You just transfer it over. Okay, so it's, it's technically legal if you own the machine, it's technically legal to yeah. burn. Because you mentioned at the very beginning of the, this video here, this Coco 2 motherboard that he's been showing to compare it to is non-functional, it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Like this is a dead Coco too that he but had. He's got and some sweet parts, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, like, aren't there certain parts like the salt chip? Isn't that not available? Salt chip was a Coco one, isn't it? I don't think it's on the Coco two. Well, no, there's salts everywhere, but the idea of finding a board with—I mean, good chips are easier to find than good boards. You could buy fifty okay, dead Cocos, and you've saying, got yeah. at least you know five good ones. But I later he could redesign it with uh, more commonly available parts. Yeah, you could. Well, yeah, right. you could buy a pie and an emulator. Yeah. And I've seen, and this is really great because I've seen replacement boards for Commodores and for Spectrum has one now. And uh, it's nice to see a, a replacement board for Cocos because, you know, to get to the point where you could buy all the components to build one new, you know, they're not manufactured anymore. And eventually, you know, they're going to become prohibitively expensive to 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 purchase on eBay and such, and to be able to you know buy all the parts and make one brand new is I think a just an awesome thing. But, I, I was just curious about certain chips that that you know. But but, but all those Commodore replacement boards that are out there are usually got enhancements as well. So you are getting enhancements. That's why what I said. Why have a standard Coco two board? Put some enhancements in as well. While you're at it, oh, you can. Yeah, yeah. well, like like her said, like you know, like start like design, but you, but you need a base that works first, and that's what he's doing here. Yeah, this, this is just first draft. Hey, right. how, come, how come the motherboard isn't the right color? <laughs> <laughs> and where's the real time clock? You're just yeah. laughing. You're, you're not Actually, uh, Nick, this anything. comes to what we were discussing off offline yesterday. I mean, the MSX2 Plus for the Dragon, for example, which has a sprite and a sound chip, you could enhance it with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a plugin though. Yeah. No, but it wouldn't have to be a plugin if you redesign the board to accept that natively right on it. You oh yeah, I, I see what you mean. But then, is it a Coco anymore? <laughs> and, and then they're going to can't satisfy these Aussies. I don't know. It's well, you can make the same argument about Coco VGA or give me yeah. X and stuff. You could also have the MPI slide out from the side. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The thing is, it gives you a base to be able to recreate the circuit board, which is not something anybody has been able to do up until now that I've seen, unless you guys can correct me. 
I don't know of a replacement motherboard. Is it, you can is you it, can get chipsets. You can get you know people that have you got know, six through nine still on sale. You got VDGs. You got RAM chips. You got a lot of the stuff you can still get. It may be you know used stock or whatever or old stock, but there's there's still a ton of it available to buy. You can't get Cocoa motherboards. Tandy doesn't sell them. You know, yeah. right? Like, and if this was, is a, when you get one that somebody's lifted too many traces on. Yeah, then it's right. kind of screwed anyway. You just toss it. This way, you can actually replace it. Salvage well, and replace it. Yeah. So this is if you want to keep the yellow, the yellow case and yellow keys that you already have. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, we do three three D printing our way out of that problem too shortly. So that's. I, well, I think yeah, it's going to be a bit of an expensive. Keyboard. Plus, if yeah. you have it apart, you can do what you want with it. You can retrobrite it or paint it. Yep. And is this KeyCAD schematic available? Apparently it is. From my understand, it's on that uh, Bit Preserve site or oh, know, right. somewhere that they mentioned. So, so I don't have too many change... details on that. I'm hoping you hardware guys can kind of follow up on this. Well, that's the thing. If you can change the, if if you have that schematic, you can change the footprints of each chip to you know a quad fat pack, whatever you need, um, different RAM. Once you have that KeyCAD schematic, you can fund it. You know, it's fungible. You can change everything. Where before you had nothing so you're gonna have yeah i think what this guy's doing is great you're gonna have two processors yeah i mean the, the sky is your limit basically it's whatever you can design but it, it it at the very least it gives you a way to replace a bad motherboard if you have the chips are fine but you had a crack you know somebody dropped it and all of a sudden the motherboard cracked you don't want the trace cracks you know the crack traces are etc so you have a base to do it but because it's an electronic file to create these like like rick said you can then modify it you know, build in the composite, build in an RGB coming right off the VDG chip if you want. Do an HDMI out on it. Um, you know, add in a sprite chip, add in a sound chip, add in a real-time clock, add them all, you know, whatever you want to do. You basically have the ability that you have a known working base prototype that if you just plug in the original chips, it works as a functioning cocoa. It is a cocoa. It's just with a modern circuit board. But you can take that wherever you want. You can make it just as in a straight replacement like he's done here. You can add in very minor things like a composite mod, or you can take it to being a Cocoa 2 Plus or whatever you want to. You could do this with a Cocoa 3 motherboard. You know, make it so the Gimme X is native on the board. You don't need any socket or anything else. It's all just built right on. And that's probably coming from Ed soon. And wouldn't it be <laughs> cool to have your own name on, on your motherboard? <laughs> right. I think that's where Ed wants to ultimately go with it. Yeah. Because yeah. he talked about the Gimme X being the... Frost. Uh, the uh, um, design, the beginnings of a replacement yeah, Coco know, the Three. The idea is to have a direct replacement. But see that of, that is an enhanced uh, board then. Coco Two, with the Gimme X in there, it'll be an enhanced. As as possible. Yep. It's not. Well, the thing is, you can do it either way. If you want to enhance, you, you know, can. If you're a person that wants the stock stuff, you can do that. Things that I found with it. What you done with the video there? I did find that the model I used for the Sam. He just did some straight wiring because he didn't want to mount the RF thing. Make a little fix here. Can because I think he was contemplating whether he wants to go composite or not. Board was a little bit. Longer so all those parts came from his the, the non-working board. Um, so I'm gonna have to yep. reorder Most some of boards, them. but you know, aside from yep. that, it, it looks so like it's a problem with the board. Not fine. I was able to write a couple yes. of programs, test it out. I had one of those two my old D board cook all the chips so worked, but the uh, board had a crack in it from a and I never could get it working, so I ended up. 
is in here. I, I didn't know. I've got the joystick. It's a lot of work in. for a cracked um, board, though. I, I would have thought it'd be easy to fix a cracked board. Any of the side of the other ones. No. Uh, well, I, I had a few people that know electronics and that they couldn't figure it out. Oh, then you have to know a fair bit of electronics to be able to do this. No, you just, because it's an available thing, you just order it now. Schematics Yeah, but if you've got to put all the chips, oh, he's going to supply all the chips and everything. You know, some of these hard to get components with newer ones. No, I think he's just doing boards. I mean, you probably replace them. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I mean. There's still a lot of work after this. So if you can do that, you could probably fix a cracked board. Yeah, no argument there. It would be a lot to. On. This would be fun. This I is mean, a fun project. Not necessarily. You have to know where the enter you can hear it. pad things are. So you have a trace at the top, trace on it the bottom. It looks pretty good. I had to adjust um, the variable capacitor. I mean, fixing a crack is easy. The Finding right the crack is the hard part. Because it's an NTSC signal, so it def, you know, depends directly yeah. on the crystal on there. Crappy RF and all. Well, that, <laughs> yep. I mean, I think yep. it's going pretty damn good. Hey, that's... Uh, let me see if I can play. That's with a different uh, color artifacting. With one hand. His uh, video is out of phase. He's getting that alternate artifact. Other than that, or he, he mucked with his uh, tin control on the TV. Okay. Yeah, I can well, get that, this on my alternate box. color yeah, set. Maybe. That was what the uh, oh, deluxe Coco was supposed to, to provide. Left, up, yeah, it had the phase shift thing. It had the purple and the green. Up, yeah, and also had the white and blue down. text too. Yeah. So he's. He's got something uh, wrong there, but probably doesn't look too bad. Or if you could put a switch in there. But the fact is he created this, this KiCad file, <laughs> this and this is the very first boards he ordered. Like most of the time when you're doing this board development, from what I understand, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, you have to go through several functions. Of these. You have yeah. to like get one, and you have to come up with yeah. it because it didn't work. I think This, this worked first right. try, which is pretty impressive. Yeah, probably the best I've ever done. No, I've had obviously better games. Yeah, that's that's really quite well. He just no basically copied nice. the board too, right? Yeah. Yeah, but as he pointed out and he mentions at the beginning of the video, the original schematics from Tandy are not right. In fact, right. rarely are schematics one hundred percent correct, from what I understand. On, on yeah, there's usually a, a thing here and there, and a lot of times companies will go to, uh, you know, go to production, you know, and just solder in a few bodge wires to fix mistakes. As opposed yeah, to the D, my D board had a ton of bodge wires on it because it was not functional from the factory. Well, and the, stuff and the KiCad workflow is you create the schematic and then you create the circuit board out of whole cloth. So you don't get to use any part of the original as your source. You have to redraw it so that it agrees with the schematic and they all agree with the rules checker and that all agree. You know, it's, oh, is that why they do the bodge wire thing because they talk about the expense of doing another revision of the board called the board spin yeah sometimes it's easier just to put some bodge wires in instead of re-spinning the board especially if you made a couple hundred thousand of them right <laughs> yeah. yeah well and you got cheap labor in china soldering the wires on too well now you do back then they, they weren't done in china korea or words, japan so. yeah different place so there's Wherever only going to be there's only going to be certain cocos you can do this with because of the arrangement of the uh, hardware. Te you know. Technically, no. I mean, you'd have to oh. basically do this, duplicate this process for whatever board, but you can make a Cocoa 3 motherboard. You make right, a Cocoa 2B motherboard. You can make a Cocoa 1 motherboard. It doesn't matter. Because KiCad will tell you if you've done anything wrong with your board drawing, it will tell you it doesn't match the schematic and where you've gone wrong. So. Yeah, nowadays. <laughs> you've got the yeah, like once it's once you've got the schematic for KiCad, you've got training wheels and you can 
drop your board. Like when I did the old fast 232, it was all manual process and I screwed it up three times, you know, you but this would have told me. So the software wrong. knows the function of each chip. Well, no, but it knows what your schematic was. And so as you draw a new board, it will tell you, you got it wrong or, you know, it shows you what connections you need to make. You draw them out. It makes sure that you've got them all right before you spend money. Where in the old days, you spent money first and then saw if it worked. Yeah, you not. prototyped it first, then you found all the problems. Right. And then you bought another one. You have to figure this guy probably had his calipers out there and he was measuring all the components, you know, the distances from the edge and everything on his original board and laying out his new circuit board and then matching the schematic to it. But then if you want to do something different, you change the schematic. You go to your circuit board again, and it will show you why it's wrong now compared to your change schematic, and you can move things around. And so, yeah, this is this is a big deal. Cool. Yeah, yeah, it certainly looks like it took some work, or I'd imagine it would have taken some work to get to this point. Yeah, and I mean, the thing I, I mean, one is a pretty interesting discussion from the hardware side of things, and the fact that we there's now the capability of replacing an entire circuit board for a cocoa. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, because the cocoa motherboards, once they're gone, I mean, you're basically living with emulators or misters or something at that point, because that's there's no other place until now to get one. So, will the um, computer help you move um, components around so you can match some of the other cases that have different layouts? Oh, yeah, Rick? yeah, yeah. If I want to lay my, my uh, vertical mod, if I want to tell you my video modulator sideways. I just change the footprint to a sideways video modulator, delete the old one, try to drop the new one in. It'll tell me why it's all screwed up. And I move the traces around until it works again. That may or may not match the original cocoa, but it will be pin for pin compatible. So all the parts plug in to the same holes. Which means you could also make then uh, cocoa motherboards for custom cases. Exactly. Move things around for any case style you want for different you want a square case you want a you know a pizza you know desktop case like some of the pcs use or a tower Isn't or whatever you what can just it's done so it's you could have one that. for a t1 board right sorry was right. that wrong? t1 lowercase you know yeah T1. yeah because the pinouts on the vdg for example are different than a regular vdg right right so you change your footprint for the different vdg chip and when you exported that uh, netlist to your circuit board it would say well you need to move this to here this to there that to here for the other vt chip you don't have to figure it out you just have to follow their lead you know it's right. really cool to be able to understand how it works but not actually be able to do it <laughs> <laughs> a comment from robert see he said one thing good thing about this is that you can actually make this new board so everything's socketed instead of having to solder everything like we have to do currently on coco threes and later coco twos and you can use a real pin header for the keyboard instead of this stupid Mylar ribbon thing. Yeah. <laughs> or you could add in, say, an AT keyboard interface if you want to make that your custom add-on to it and then just have well, it, you know. Just get a Cocoa Mac. <laughs> Go with heads. It, it, it opens up a lot of opportunity for hardware designers and also opens up a lot of opportunity to resurrect machines where the chips are good, but the circuit boards are bad. It, it holds a lot of potential, I guess is what I, I would say. There's a lot of things you can do with this. And the fact that somebody's actually taking the time to get this to work right so we can actually duplicate a Cocoa 2 motherboard completely, 
um, is a huge step in that direction. Now you have a base that is known to work instead of having to, you know, second guess it yourself or try to figure out what's wrong in the schematic. I know Disto, uh, Tony Stefano was quite famous, even, you know, when he did his published turn of the screw thing, he'd always have a mistake on purpose on any of his commercial boards that you would have to figure out to actually get it to work. They never worked the way that he published them. <laughs> and that was part of his, you know, copy protection for his hardware designs. I remember Mark Marlette used to complain about that a lot, even talking to Tony at the shows. And Tony said, yeah, I do do that on purpose so people don't steal my designs type thing. So, you know, they have to figure out, you know, that these two things are swapped around because this actually literally will not work the way it's published. So you can steal it, but you have to know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I'm glad it came up as a discussion topic. It was something totally unexpected. I did not expect to find a video like this when I was looking for news this week. So it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. So actually, he could make the board black or red or. Yeah, you can pick. Well, colors. it's up to yeah, wherever you get the board manufactured afterwards. So. I'm assuming with black. you correct me if I'm wrong in this, Rick, but KeyCat I'm assuming is a standard that a lot of board manufacturers use. So you can just you know approach whoever makes that particular size of board. Yeah, right it's 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 a big thing now. I mean, it's right up there with Eagle and all these other. They actually uh, output uh, standardized files in Gerber format that most CAD programs will output. So it doesn't really matter which layout program you use. They all put out a standard file that any of the board manufacturers can use. Gerber so actually one. you could put a cocoa pie on a board and have all the pinouts go to the proper places so that when you put the cover on, it looks stock. Well, the thing is boards cost by the inch. So a cocoa board is pretty expensive. Just like my keyboard experiment was pretty expensive because the board was so big. Um, so a pie, you would just want to run, you know, jumpers, extenders. It'd be better making small subboards and having one that's mounted for the cartridge and a small strip at the back for the edge connectors and stuff and then run them to the pie. Yeah. The yeah, acreage costs money. So what do you think this thing cost? He didn't mention that, so I don't know. But this was just his first, you know, batch of prototypes to even see if the design worked, if it fit in the case properly. And he lucked out that pretty well everything did. He had to it do was a little bit of PCB is what his box said. So you can yeah, and that's going to maybe twelve bucks for a board this size. Really? I'd yeah. say fifteen to seventeen, but well, it's not bad. I mean, shipping is more than the cost of the board. Yeah. So yeah, and, and it takes longer. I, I got it now. And the postman will crack it in the mail for you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. yeah, he said here you got five boards for 30 bucks. Back to square one where you started with the crack board. Yeah, that's your that's your uh, proto price. <laughs> yeah, so you got you get six dollars a board on this prototype. If you're willing to pay the DHL shipping, you can have them in like three days. Cost you about 30 bucks, so. Anyway, for you hardware guys that, that, that know what you're talking about in this a lot more than I do, I would love if you guys could contact them through the YouTube comments, maybe kind of get them into the Coca community as a whole here. And uh, maybe we can get them on the show to talk about it too. And also, you know, maybe, you know, talk about doing, you know, designs that go above and beyond the original Coco type thing. Um, hey, Rick. So he's got the price in the video there, five boards for $30. Yeah, I just, I just mentioned that. That's the prototype cost. So. Hey, Rick, when, when you pull out those... Um, uh, resistors and stuff from the old board and put them in the new board they're already clipped for being installed so sometimes do you think you would replace those instead or yeah i, I always replace resistors and caps the only thing i would keep is chips and oh. i wouldn't i would 
replace all of the LS series chips that I have a junk box full because they're like three cents a piece. And uh, well, what about um, that uh, crystal? Well, you know, there's a lot of things you can buy for next to nothing. And I would, yeah, the crystals are like you can buy those in, in measured in cents. Or JLC will put them in. I, I have a project where the cost of the parts that are on the board cost more from any supplier than the board assembled from JLPCB with the board and everything. Mm-hmm. So I, I actually buy to pay them. So I buy boards fully stuffed, desolder the parts I don't need, and I've saved money on those parts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which okay, will come okay. up later, possibly. Anyway, Rick, Rick, if you or Mark or any of the other hardware-oriented people on the call here, or even people listening out in, in you know, out yeah, in Facebook and YouTube land, can contact him on the YouTube comments there. I w- I'd love to see if you guys can maybe get him to maybe come on the show, or even just talk between you know yourselves and them, or and him, and then actually you know kind of you know find out where he wants to go with this and maybe opportunities to work together, that kind of thing. Because I think it's a pretty fascinating project. Mm-hmm. And maybe also get involved in that bit preserve thing. Like maybe we can get the Cocoa 3 preserves. We can read, you know, duplicate those motherboards later on. And this is Rocky Hill. Yeah. Which ties into the whole ZZ Top Dusty Hill thing. So, okay, we're good. (laughs) (laughs) The next one here is specifically for Ron. Oh, right. (laughs) So we were talking a couple of weeks ago, we were trying to find copies of these original Coco educational programs that um, actually use the cassette with the motor on audio on commands as part of the program to actually have spoken word in between and kind of teach you things. And there was a couple of these and they were quite pretty expensive back in the day and they're pretty hard to find. So uh, Michael Pizzo, who I think is actually on the Facebook group, I don't think he's a member of the uh, discord here, the Coco discord, but he actually had a copy of it and he's actually played the entire lesson, which is 30 minutes. So obviously I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but uh, Astronomy, the solar system featuring the discovery of the planet Pluto. That sounds kind of quiet, doesn't it? Yeah. So I'll show a little bit of the beginning, then I'll fast forward a bit because Clyde Tomba, that person actually did discover Pluto as actually one of the voice people on this later on in the presentation. Is this the Walt Disney Pluto? No, this is the uh, the planet Pluto. <laughs> Actually, Walt Disney did put out some software, though, that worked the same way, where there was in consultation with Dr. Clyde w. audio Tombaugh, mixed in with the data. Of astronomy at New Mexico State University. Dr. Tombaugh is the scientist who made the remarkable discovery of the planet Pluto. He's got a radio voice. Yeah, that's not Clyde. That's, that's the uh, no. narrator. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they they definitely hired a professional narrator too. <laughs> Again, says not a planet. I'm sure glad to disappear. To a south-facing window, turn out the lights and look at the stars. They'll look something like this. And if you sit and watch for a while, you'll see that the rotation of the Earth makes the stars appear to move. From oh, it the sounds like the guy from that, that sci-fi TV series. What was it in the fifties or whatever? Twilight Zone, you mean? Rod Serling? Uh, what was it called? Twilight Zone with Rod Serling? Is that what you're talking about? Earlier, oh, maybe, yeah. The star positions are the same as they were the week before. Twilight Zone. 
and I'm not going to play the whole thing here, but I'll fast forward a bit. So it does a kind of a history of the planets, you know, the ones that were discovered in ancient times and explains how they got the name planets and that type of thing. A little graphics, you know, to kind of represent each of them. Radar measurements of Jupiter has more than twice. You know, drawing some of the details like the Galilean moons and the red spot, et cetera. Red spot's much smaller now. Yeah, shrunk quite a bit. Looks black to me. It goes to the history of trying to predict planet X and how to find it. And of course, uh, Clyde Tomba took over from Percival Lowell Observatory. I'm sure Ron knows all this. Yep, that's true. I got a Lowell Observatory cup. In the spring of 1929, a new and this is how I discovered the blink comparator, where basically two photographic plates that would just flash between. You have to take a look and stare at it and see what dot moved. Yeah, and flip back or if and a forth. dot moved. <laughs> yeah, sit there and flip back and forth and look at a specific spot and then move to the next one. Basically check every star to see if it moved. Now this one's emphasized like he's made the Pluto star you know, quite a bit bigger in the lower right you can see flashing between the two on the a real plates if you've seen those it's a pretty minor dim star that you're checking to see if it moved I, uh, this this is a job that would have drove me nuts what two instruments did yeah the yeah but when right. you make that discovery though that boy i tell you yeah. nowadays it's all done now it's the computer just compares you know like uh, yeah. there's pixels here there's not over here i found it yeah <laughs> well and everything moves a little bit because of the atmosphere and so forth so. yeah the distortion of the heat now mind you they, they use that uh, laser guiding star thing to get rid yeah. of the, the ripple effect too, which helps. Comparator. even more important than having recognize the face there ron needed a careful observer who was willing to work long hours and would quickly learn to operate the delicate equipment just such a person was Clyde W. Tombaugh, who came to work at the observatory in January of 19. So a lot of other computers didn't do this type of thing, did it? I don't think too many other computers had the audio on capability on the cassette, did they? And the motor control, so they could actually you know, pause and wait for the graphics and whatever the time did. Right, and turn the audio on and off so that you're not listening to data come in when it's loading data. Because it'll load the program, and then it'll play, and you'll hear audio while the program's running. And then, and then it'll shut the audio off, load in the next part of the program if it's too big to fit exactly. memory and just continue. The, yeah. the graphics and such. It was mainly the, the program loaded generally at the beginning and then throughout it was just it was essentially loading in graphics the from there on. Yeah. It, it was multimedia before multimedia was a thing. Right. And that's Clyde's voice there for you. Yeah. Although the nights were cold and the hours long, I was a young man and thrilled to have the opportunity to participate in the search for Planet X. And of course, some of Clyde's ashes went out with New Horizons, so he's actually flown by the planet he discovered. The plane in which the Earth orbits. I guess he was a real jokester when he was alive. You'd always <laughs> puns, he would say. Plus, he lived to a ripe old age. He was in his 90s when he died, yeah. wasn't he? I think I think New well New Horizons obviously was uh, something I think he knew was in the works when he died. I don't obviously he was you know, already passed away really? until he launched. Yep. He lived that long that yep. New Horizons was in the works. To wind its way in and out among groupings of bright stars. Groupings of stars are. Hey, I'll play the whole thing here because I know Ronald. 
Ron will want to listen to it without us all talking over it. That's all right. (laughs) But it's a pretty cool uh, multimedia presentation from 1982. I mean, this is Coco 1 even before the Coco 2 came out. So So it runs like 29 minutes. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing uh, I enjoy. I try and find stuff that I can play while I'm doing stuff and, you know, to run for a while by itself. And um, some games do. And this would be one. Yeah, and it's educational. Yeah. Speaking of New Horizons, uh, uh, 16 years ago, uh, I I put my uh, name in so that there's a CD that's affixed to the spacecraft that has the names of everybody who signed up to get their name on the CD. So floating out, you know, past Pluto is is my name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my name's on one of the landers, and um, I think it's path. Pathfinder, oh, one of those Mars ships. My my name is on. Yeah, Micro mine's on the whatever. the the last the latest one that just landed. Yeah. My name's on that one. That's that one's cool. it's on a computer chip, and it's actually I thought oh they just digitally, you know, it was a bunch of ones and zeros that have all these names in ASCII or something, but it's actually they actually engraved, so you could actually with a microscope you could read your name off the chip. Like, yeah, I, I don't have anything like that to claim. I, I just think most aliens probably use my name as a swear word. <laughs> anyway, it's a pretty fascinating. This, this is a rare thing to find functional because these were cassette tapes. They, they get stretched, they get degaussed or whatever, you know, something goes wrong. And I, because it was an educational program in the early days of the computer revolution, I don't think a lot of these were sold. So I know Ron had been looking for one of these for a yeah. while. You know what I would do is uh, put that on my Coco VGA and change the colors. <laughs> but, but these are these are I think are exceedingly rare. So the fact that Michael actually has a functioning one and was able to record the video yeah. so the rest of us could see it is it was pretty awesome. Great job. Disney had put out a bunch of educational software too that was similar to this, where it had the the combination of audio yep. and graphics. And uh, I remember when I saw that, I was majorly impressed because, like you said, it was it was multimedia before there was multimedia. And I could see the, you know, the capabilities. The yeah. yeah, and it's, I mean, the the quality of an audio tape on a, just on a regular cassette recorder that you use to load programs is, you know, like, like Nick was talking about earlier, you know, when you're trying to do samples and stuff like that, this is a half an hour worth of some guy talking and, and, uh, and, right. and it's high quality audio. And you pump yeah. it into a monitor and it sounds pretty good. You know, yep. yeah. Coco Forever was the same deal. Kind of. MP3s. That, that's digital recording, so it's probably a bit cleaner than an audio cassette would have been, but yeah. But, you know, for 1982 to have educational programs like this, and they also had like, you know, spoken word books, like there was the Hound of the Baskervilles and some of these other ones where you kind of read along type thing. And some of the mm-hmm. Disney ones, which actually Michael Pitzer, the guy that did this video, has, has put up videos of those before we've actually had on the show of some of the Disney ones, um, the educational games. But just having the whole multimedia thing, which was pretty unique to the Coco at the time, there might have been one of the two machines, but most of the other machines did not have this capability. So we were way ahead of the curve on that one. Just think we could have invented karaoke. Well, okay, there is some downsides to it, but um. I'm kind of surprised that it didn't take off more because the the color computer, this is a like you said, is a feature that you didn't see on a lot of other computers because it didn't have that audio on and audio off uh, capability. Uh, 
and the Coco did have that ability, and also to pipe the audio in through the TV speaker. So it really, I thought when I saw it, I'm like, wow, this is really neat, and I thought it would get more popular than it did. I think the main reason it didn't is that you know kids learn at different rates, so the pre-programmed timing of how long it takes to present certain things maybe it was too fast for certain students and then you can't slow it down so then you have to like stop the program rewind the tape to the right spot and, and carry it on mm. so i think it kind of it, it kind of got stuck with that until we got stuff like cds and stuff that actually could do a rewind and repace itself or you know, or pause restart. until somebody's yeah. ready to continue yeah yeah i think i think that's why it took it. that long for it to really take off as a, a proper educational tool but this is definitely the precursor to that and yeah. without this i don't think that would have happened and this now showed you the potential. Sorry, go ahead, Ron. And now we've preserved it. Yep. So big, big thank you to Michael for putting that yep. up. Yep. Good job, Mike. All righty. Next up, now we're getting into machine-specific news. The first uh, three stories here are for the MC10. So Robert Sieg, who's you know, kind of the Jim Gary II of the MC10 community. <laughs> Uh, mentions he's updated his drawing program for the MCX32 hardware add-on that we demoed last week, and it now allows saving those 32 by 16 graphics clip as clip art. So last week we showed he had this thing for editing basically a P mode, what was it, P mode one screen, 128 by 96 by four color, and you'd basically select a little rectangular box of 32 by 16 pixels, and you'd hit a key, and it would flip over to the semi-graphics mode, uh, which is the 32 by 16 text screen, except it would use the color blocks and you could fill in the actual colors. So if you're editing, you know, color set zero, it would give you the option of green, yellow, blue, and red, and you could draw the graphics and then we'd copy it back onto the high res screen. And he had little pictures of, you know, spaceships and whatever else. Um, so what he's done here now is he actually has added the capability of that program that you can take these 32 by 16s and then save them out as clip art, which means you can use them later as sprites. Now that Mario thing I showed you earlier in the game news is basically based on that where you can actually you know, just clip the parts of then you can make animations or you know, special borders or whatever you want to do. So his program here that he's uploaded on the Facebook group actually has this new capability added to it. So if you have an MC10, it requires the MCX32. So if you have that handy, you can actually use this. And then uh, Jim McClellan has also been pretty active on the uh, MC10. He's been fiddling around with printers. So we showed him using the TP10 printer before. And now he's working what he's calling the itty bitty banner maker, which is going to be a way to use, you know, the MC10 to create banners. You basically you type in your text and it makes these huge text characters coming out sideways and you can like tape them together and make, you know, posters that, or uh, banners that stretch across a room or something like that. I remember using these on the Cocoa and the Apple II back in the day with the line printers. I hadn't really seen one for the TP10, but uh, he's actually actively working that program. So once he gets it up there, I mean, you'll be able to do all kinds of fancy printer things with your MC10, which is cool. This is another video I found fascinating by accident. So you guys have heard of the Alice, which is the French version of the MC-10, which came in a red case, uh, which I think most of us are at least somewhat familiar with. I don't think I've ever seen the Alice 90 before. This is a sequel. And this is also a 6803, and it's backwards compatible. It, as you can see here, it has a real keyboard, yeah. a bit of a bigger case, uh, has the uh, SCART connector to hook up to your TV in, in Europe. Um, it also comes with 32K RAM standard built into the motherboard itself. 8K of that is allocated for video RAM. So the MC10 was limited to 4K video RAM, which means you couldn't use P-Mode 3 or 4. 
this actually will let you do it. And if you're using a lower P mode, like a you know, one, two, a zero, one, or two, you actually have enough video RAM to page flip. So you can actually do animation effects smoothly. Um, and this is uh, actually recorded in Italian. So I'll probably just mute it because I, that, that, Ron, do you speak Italian? No. Oh, okay. I understand the words though. Hey, um, is this like wedge shaped? Do you know? Uh, you, you'll see. Okay. It's even got a carrying case. It's even got a red matching cassette player that came for it. So you said you understand Italian? He said computer. Santa Maria. Red like a meatball. So programmers of the MC10, one of the things that's always been complained about the MC10 is a keyboard. So that's why a lot of people do their development on cross-platform. You wouldn't have to. This that actually looks like a pretty damn decent keyboard. Plus they have extra stuff on the keys. Well, yeah. I mean, the MC10 had those keys where you could program the graphic blocks. Yeah. And those are all actually printed. It's kind of hard to see in this particular picture here, but those are actually on the keys. You can see exactly just like on the MC10 what the blocks are. And the break key is on a weird side over there on the other side. Yep, and you got your arrow keys on the upper right. Two yeah. shift keys. That's nice. <laughs> so this machine, from what I was able to gather, came out in 1985, 32K RAM standard, and the 8K video RAM. So there's a bunch of improvements all the way across the board. There you can kind of see the uh, graphic characters. And also the pre-programmed basic statements you could do too for, you know, Two key hit, allora, get a special key, plus the key, and it'll do the word print for you without having to type Same as the Yeah, I think it's control. Uh, who made it? Alice. It was the same guys that made the Alice in France. Made France. So was it, uh, it was a French company, was it? Yeah. Look at that, size of the board. Allora, sicuramente via il processore che è questo qui. There's a 6803 right there. Yep. Now, I'm, I'm not super familiar with the internals of the MC10. Is this even close to the MC10 circuit board layout? Yeah, it's just rearranged. Are all those uh, resistors like buffers? video. Rick? Why <laughs> come? What are the resistors used for? Right there above all the components. Che sono dei buffers. You're, you're muted, Rick. <laughs> there were probably resistor packs on the big commercial boards instead of rows and rows and rows of individual resistors, so you wouldn't notice them. But uh, yeah, just dropping to outputs and so forth. Current What's moment. that? Attenuation. That'd, that'd be the RAM, isn't it? Yeah. 150 nanosecond RAM. It looks like. So four chips would be your 32K, 8K per chip. Yep. Look, look for the little pad right? for 64K. Oh, TI. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I'll show you a bit what the case looks like as you guys were wondering about that. Not, not much socket yep. huh? What's that big connector? That's a SCART, isn't it? The video? Yep. Yeah, SCART. Oh, good. So it was that composite or did it have uh, SVL? That was RGB. That's what we use on RGB, the adapters yeah. nowadays. That's raw yeah. RGB, basically. That's the MC10 Tandy should have made. All right. Yeah, real keyboard. I mean, nobody had SCART in North America, but. No. But yeah, RGB. Cool. 
I, like I wonder the if these are hard to find. I'd say so. I would guess so, yeah. But not in France. But I'd say it'd be hard there too. Well, yeah, we've never seen them before. Red reset button. Yeah, there's your uh, DIN connectors for the cassette and the printer. Still no joystick, Weird. huh? Weird case. No, no joystick still. I don't believe so. Nope. Some comments in the uh, chat here. <clears throat> this is the last model in the Matra Alice computer series. The first was the Alice, second was the Alice 32. This is the third, the Alice 90 from a meditation on YouTube. Uh, 60, Karen says, uh, the Alice 32 90, according to WikiPoo, used a different video chip. Oh, I didn't catch that. Ah. And the connector has both composite and RGB on the skirt. So, okay. What video chip? Well, he said it, it claims it's backwards compatible. Well, that's interesting. That is interesting. That's I didn't interesting, know anybody yeah. made any sequel to the VDGs, except for the T1. That's the only thing I know. Yeah. This says right on there, can, it's ordinary. <laughs> can, you, can you wind it back to the uh, main board? Maybe we can see what the video chip is, unless there's a website that talks about it. Yeah, well, the, according to 60, uh, Karen, there's a, a Wikipedia entry for it. So we'll check it ah, out. okay, I'll have a look. It'd be Alice, nice to no. see if they have a um, monitor they would use. Well, with the SCART adapters, like, uh, you know, Jason Record sells that, those are SCART, so you, you can plug it yeah. right into modern TVs with that. Right. Right. One might guess that they had a video chip that would do 50 to 60, so you could run the processor faster. I don't know. There's Alice. Just looking it up now. That's a little basic manual it came with. You see the computer's floating? It's an yeah. optional. Um... <laughs> this is the magic mushroom version, apparently. Ooh. Evidently. <laughs> you get four cassettes with it? Wow. Yeah, there's a SCART adapter. Crocky. Crikey? How do you say that? Oh, it's crikey. And these are games like for an MC10 level machine I don't think I've ever heard of before. So apparently there's another software library that might be able to. In, in the bottom, in the bottom along the side, you can pull out the hatchet. Crikey. <laughs> this one's a 16K required for the Alice 32 or Alice 90. Or yeah. Alice, sorry, that's it, Alice. The video chip is an EF9345. I wonder who made that. You think it could be um, PAL? I'd say so, or, or CCAM or whatever. It's CCAM. It said CCAM on the bottom label of the Alice itself. Plus, that was the standard. It also said PERTAL, which is the SCART. Oh, there's a Wikipedia site. Uh, it looks like it was made by Thompson, yeah, the video chip. Symbol. Little symbol, a little uh, triangle symbol. It's all Thompson. Yeah. Hmm. Thompson made the video chip. So how is it different than the VDG? I don't know. I'm looking that's, it that's up now. Like, did it add extra modes or did it just clone it? Did it have a green screen when it's booted up? Unfortunately, oh, one thing know. he did not do in this video is actually turn it on, hook it up. I don't know if he doesn't Aww. have the right TV or what. That That's the one part that sucks. <sighs> But I've never seen an Alice 90 before. I've seen the Alice, no. obviously, but that's a new one on me. And it looks like if you wanted to get into the MC10, this would be a perfect way to do it. Decent keyboard, 
Yeah. Um, 32K of RAM, 8K for video RAM, et cetera. Um, sounds like it's backwards compatible. I like the bad what, system. Jim Gary yeah. needs one of these is what I'm saying. It wasn't big. Yeah, you can tell by his hand. It's it's not a huge machine, though Delphi is a bit bigger than the MC10 the original Alice was. And, and you need enough room to fit that keyboard, obviously. And it still didn't need a fan. Kieran's mentioning RGBI output from the chip itself. So that video chip is supported RGB out. That's cool. Yeah, built in. I wonder if it had uh, more colors or any other. Now, 8-Bits in the basement who lives in France, I think, or is he in Spain? I can't remember. Says, I could buy one here tomorrow, but it would cost me two to 300 euros. Oof. <laughs> That's pretty expensive. So, so they are available there. <laughs> They're available like everywhere. Like Coco 3s. Yeah. Anyway, I found that as a fascinating video. So, anybody who has access to any of those, if anybody can get a video of it running to see what's different on the VDG, if anything, or show some of the programs that required 32K that were written at that time in the 1985 time frame, I'd love to see what they did. Yeah. Okay, now we're on to the Dragon. I've got four stories here. So the first one, Matt Kay sent some metal plate name badge replacements for Dragons to John Whitworth, who's doing some of the hardware stuff for the Dragon these days in the UK. And these include special ones. So you notice you've got a Dragon 32, you've got a Dragon 64, but you've got the Dragon 64 Plus, and you've also got the Dragon 64 MSX2 Plus, which is the one we've shown before that Paris Rat and a few others have been using with as the uh, MSX2 sound chip and the MSX2 sprite chip and the extra colors and everything else. So now you can actually get you know quasi-official badges for your enhanced dragon to put on it so you know darn well what you're looking at when you show it off. Does MS, MSX have anything to do with the other MSX, like the one Japan made? or Yes. It's a, it's the sound chip and the graphic chip from that into a dragon. It's an add-on board. Okay. So what computers did they call them that had the MSX chip in it? This is a new board. This is actually, we've covered it before on the, on the show, Ron, that uh, is currently in development. Parasurat's been writing some software for it, et cetera. Okay. So it's like brand new stuff. It's kind of like our, their gimme X for driving. Right. Second up, um, this was a really cool video I found just last night, actually, uh, exploring the Dragon 32. Now, we found one of these a little bit earlier when kind of went through the history of the Dragon. This is a person that also grew up with the Dragon as a kid, but he goes into some pretty deep detail. It's 21 minutes, so I can't play the whole thing. Um, Let's play a little bit of the intro here. The Dragon 32. Priced at £175, or around £600 in today's money, it was based on the same Motorola MC6883 reference design as the Tandy TRS-80 colour computer, known as the Coco, which was released in the US by the Tandy Corporation two years previously. Not strictly a clone, as the ROMs aren't compatible, the Dragon shipped with 32K of RAM and Microsoft Extended Color Basic as standard. Got a good collection of machines there too. In the Coco, and also a much nicer mechanical keyboard. It also featured a dedicated connector for the monitor, albeit composite only, which was lacking on the code. And he's got that VCR. But they were certainly close enough <laughs> relatives of the majority. So he goes through and he, you know, goes through like the basic manual and he goes through the fact that the, you know, the cassette cable, how that works and kind of shows you what the machine looks like itself. Goes through all the ports like you would expect. Um, taking a look at the uh, massive power supply. Going through the motherboard and explaining all that setup. You know, I, 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 I still, I have my, my own um, Tano Dragon, but I've never, and I've tried to hook up my SDC to it, but once the Dragon Basics are up there, you know, um, I can't get 
video or anybody to tell me what the commands are to load programs in from a floppy or to save them or to yeah it's it's right? disk basic i mean it's regular basic is pretty darn close to the cocos except for you know the tokens are different it's yeah. disk basic is completely different it's it's not based it's based on sectors not granules i mean it's not even compatible in the slightest um so that you would need to grab one of the dragon manuals to learn because they have different commands the structure of the disk itself is different too it's it's very different. That's one place where the dragon and the cocoa broke totally apart in different directions. Hey, my uh, internet's gone south again. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm working in the red again now. I'll try to wrap this up fairly quick then. You're still recording though, right? Yeah. Okay. So here he's actually ordered the SDC and he does, you know, the jumpers for the dragon and actually kind of mentions how to get that going. He actually does his loading of test software here, though, from WAV files, and he gives some tips on setting that up to run it from a PC, which I won't bother replaying here. And then he just goes through some of the uh, game demos uh, that he remembers, you know, like uh, Chucky Egg, uh, Manic Miner and Jet Set Willy, which we've seen before, uh, Backtrack, which he's actually pretty impressed with the 3D perspective on that one. Uh, Airball, which is kind of a a cool game, but it's maddeningly hard, which seems to be a dragon theme. Um, Frogger, which of course we had in the Coco officially is a port two. Um, Rommel 3D, which of course on the PAL-based dragon runs in black and white. We're used to seeing it with the artifact colors, but it still plays pretty well. And he was impressed with the 3D and kind of goes through a little bit more. And then kind of what happened to the dragon, you know, it, it, it went bankrupt. Eurohard, which was manufacturing it in mainland Europe, Kind of took it over and then they went you know under you know a couple of years later type thing so pretty good for a history of the dragon pretty good to show you what the dragon is at the hardware level some sample software games etc he mentioned some of the other things like os9 and flex that were available for it so he, he he definitely knows his stuff so it's a very interesting video and well worth your watch this uh just started here up yesterday so ian hopkin posted up a picture a blast from the past as he call it so this is him as a young lad with his Dragon 32 plugged into the living room TV by the looks of it with a cassette deck and stuff hooked up. And I thought that's a cool idea. And I know I've shown this before, but I have a picture of myself, you know, back in 1982 with my Coco One. So engrossed that I didn't even notice somebody was taking a picture. Um, and I just bought my first two cartridges. You can kind of see in the background, which I believe was skiing and Project Nebula. But then some other people started joining in too. And so there's a few other pictures of people um, like Tony Jill mentions, this is back when he used to have hair. So he's using his Dragon 32 there. And this is, oh, I don't know why that disappeared all of a sudden. You can see the shrunk version anyway. So that's around 1983. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I don't know how many of uh, the rest of you actually have pictures as a Ute, you know, using a Coco back in the day <laughs> or a Dragon. Uh, but if you want to, if you're in the member of the Dragon 3264 group on Facebook, if you want to contribute pictures to add to the, you know, what we all looked like back in the old days, that's a, that's a pretty fun visit to the past there. Geez, I was married. <laughs> <laughs> and this, uh, the last story here for the Dragon, last story for the news, actually. So John Whitworth has been, like I said, involved with some of these hardware uh, things, has also found the original Spanish manual for the Dragon 32, the technical manual. So for any Spanish speakers that, uh, or Spanish is more your native language in English, want to get the uh, specs for the dragon, he's got it up on Facebook and just download the PDF here. And uh, I won't bother showing it because I didn't speak Spanish, but uh, that, that's now available too. So it's more technical reference material. And that is the end of the news. Oh, hang on. No, there's one more. Um, 
there's a video on YouTube that shows the um, Alice 90 and there's, it does have extra graphics. Um, I don't know if I can share it. I'll just send you um, in Discord a link to a video if you want to play that. Hang on. Okay. I've, I've just just sent it now. Oh, in Discord? Let me... in, well, yeah, it's a quick one. You could have done it in the chat we're in. Ah, yeah, but that means I have to think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why the hell would I expect that? Yeah. <laughs> You're so honest. <laughs> Okay, so let me reshare then. Uh, yeah, play that. It's interesting. Do you know if it had enhanced sound or is that basically the same? Uh, I didn't. I don't know. I didn't. Haven't looked that far. They have sound in France. Maui. Oh yeah, that looks like eighty columns or something. Yeah, I take it to the start, very start of the video. Well, this is a start. I haven't played. Start playing. Oh, okay. Cool. Comes up. It does the have same. the VDG screen. Cool. Yep, yeah, there it is. It does and crystal clear RGB output on the skirt. Yep. It doesn't have it the ratio properly. That's because it's on well, the TV. For PAL, it does actually have colored text and higher density text modes as well. I saw in another video, but you might want to skip past the load time. Oh, he actually does the whole thing. Okay. <laughs> I think he does. Yeah. Rocky's that tape that was in the box. There you go. Now, oh, that wow. looks pretty That's different. Nice. Nice and clear. Well, it's probably a bit weird because he's running it on a, wee, a widescreen display. That's why it's stretched. Well, yeah. It doesn't look stretched there. He could, well, he could, they could change the. Yeah, the aspect ratio on the TV from 16 maybe. by 9 to yeah, 4 to yeah, 3. 3. Yeah, that looks normal. Sound sounds like stock sound, though. It does, doesn't it? That's probably power width, right? It's a little bit wide anyway compared to what we're used to. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. But, the yeah, I wonder if the pinouts of this chip is different to the normal 6847, though. I don't know if it's... Is, is a, it the same number of pins, or is it... It is, it is, but they're different. I had a look like at the pinouts. Kind like the T1 ones, then. It's very different, more That's different than that. RGBI for one. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's quite different. Well, yeah, that definitely looks better than the you know stock VDG would be able to keep put out. Oh far. yeah, it was definitely right. a very uh, upgraded six eight four seven. Right, count the dots. <laughs> yeah, it's got to be at least a three twenty, I would say. Yeah, it looks it. And black. Borders. <laughs> right. Wow. How well, there's another game further down. Yeah. It didn't have the red. I wonder uh, if that's text mode. Might be. Might be an 80 com text mode. Yeah. There's the actual screen width there, I bet. Yeah. See, that's more than 32. But the, the borders on the side are because this, the new monitor is too wide. But the yeah. actual screen width is to the things you can see. And did that look like more than eight colors? It's kind of hard to tell. It's a little bit washed out. Yeah. But the fact you have a black background, you can put colors over top. Well, there is some color. Oh, yeah. That that looks like graphics. Green, blue, pink. That's graphics mode, I'd say, not right. text. Right. Pretty quick. Yeah, that's that's not bad. 
it, it, it keeps thinking in your head it's a 6809. It's a 6303. 6803, yeah. yeah. That's not bad, though. I mean, you had a real keyboard. You had some definite, you know, definite improvements in the graphics modes and text modes, obviously. It's the MC10 we should have had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no doubt. Exactly. Boy, uh, Jim Gary, see this? He might go nuts. Probably knows about <laughs> well, it. Well, Jim Gary's got a Coco VGA in his MC10, so... He probably yeah, has more color got, capability than this does. Yeah, but this has got better res. Uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, you have settable palettes on the Coco VJ, so you can do the 128, 192 with any so, four colors you want. So does anybody yeah, know how many? Does, it, does the 6308 have uh, the same 16, 8, 8 16-bit thing? Like no, it's a bit more uh, primitive than the 6809s. Oh, it is. Anyway, that's cool. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up there. As I, I didn't see yeah. this, I didn't even know it had an extended. I've never heard of that ship before. <laughs> cool. Nice. All right. There, bonus news for y'all. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. I guess next up is the uh, updates and acquisitions. Uh, the only one I had on my list was Rick. How are we doing on bandwidth? Uh, it is falling off the bottom again. So I'm sure the people trying to view it is uh, getting pretty jerky. Cool. I'm glad I have a slideshow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been dropping to zero for uh, for time. Looks like the best I'm able to do right now maybe is about 22, 23K. No, yeah, well, as long as it's being recorded, we can post the, the you know, yeah. unhindered version. So, Rick, are you up? Um, sure. Can yeah, I, go ahead, Rick. Let's see. Let's see if this all works. Do I see the mirror effect? I don't see anything. So I'm going to see if this works or not. It's all black. Ooh. Do we have yeah. storage? Yep. Check it out. A massive 50 megs of genuine cocoa storage. Oh, yeah, that's the old primary drives from Tandy plus the actual Tandy uh, yeah, yeah. hard drive adapter. Here's How would that primary? That would warm up your room. Oh, yeah. Here's your primary. And give you a hernia, too, if you got to carry your it. There's secondary. Anymore. So I could technically get 30 megs online at a time. So you could Massive. easy chain those together? Yeah, you yes. could, this one has the, the, the Tandy controller fits into here. Hmm. And then this goes to your secondary drive. And then all the drivers were in the dev pack. So Tandy really had you. You had to buy their cases. You had to buy the dev pack. You had to buy OS 9 because you wouldn't need a hard drive unless you were a developer, right? Um, I have a controller for it. And the Steve, Steve Bjork famously had one of these because Tandy, I think, uh, arranged for him to get one as a developer. And he had two 35 meg drives, like the later ones that Tandy did right. on his. A, a local doctor had this and ran his practice on it. Poor patients. Uh, but anyway... And then this week, I've been working on the Cocoa.io thing, and I've managed to really piss off a web server. Luckily, it's my <laughs> local web server. <laughs> Bad request. The browser sent a request that the server could not understand. But at least I got its attention and got it to talk to me back. So this is progress. Is that a progress. disto four and one there? No, it's a, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's a disto something or other. I, 
I've got three or four of them. Um, this is probably the has the MEB on it, but not much else. But in any case, um, it makes my floppy spin, so that's good. And in the process of making the Cocoa IA thing work, I designed this case, which doesn't require any fasteners and just snaps together. And in fact, there's little pads that you probably can't see that hold the board up from the bottom and little pads that stick down from the top to hold the board down. So, so you don't have to screw just, the board in. It just kind of floats. Until it you just kind of sits on the bottom pads and it sits on the top pads. And so when you snap it together, it looks like this. And it's in the right spot. Or this. And it just plugs into the MPI as I did back here somewhere. Yeah, there it is. It just plugs right in. So I'm going to make this. Now I'm trying to figure out what's the best way to do this because a free CAD pattern is almost impossible to modify. So I might just make an STL that doesn't have any cutouts in the top. So you can just grab your handy Dremel tool and make cutouts. And then you can drop any full size board into it, you know, just to kind of get a thing going. I've also drawn uh, MIDI and long controller patterns in this. So as soon as I get that done, I'll throw them up somewhere. And if you need to make a case, you can print your own case and drop a board in it and have a party. <laughs> uh, let's see. And that's, and that's for those that are, are like are new to the show or have not seen it before, that board there basically is a 16550 high speed serial port and an Ethernet port, correct? Oh, correct. Yeah. It's, it's an, it, I wish I could point. Yes. It's a, it's a 5100 Ethernet port and a 550 serial port. I don't know the best way to do a drive wire connector. So I just threw on level converters and a DB9 for now. And uh, it's now very fashionable because the, the series of gate chips didn't work. So I have firmware that can be updated or I can lock out something or all of those cool firmware things you do nowadays. So <laughs> that's kind of fun. And by the way, this is a prototype. This is the prettiest prototype I've ever made in my life. Very cute. <laughs> Production. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, most of them, I, I should have racked up those slides, but yeah, my old prototypes were like drawn by hand and and cut at home and they turned green in about a week after you made them because they weren't sealed in any way. And no smoke, huh? Right. This thing, no smoke. It works in everywhere now. And uh, I'm happy. And that's cool. about all I've really got. Um, let's see. And now I can't get back to my other screen. Yes, I can. I can find it. Oh, and stop share. There we go. And that's where I am this week. Hopefully by next week, I will have a web server happy at me. Now, this is only disk basic, so it's not really useful code, but it works well enough to make things work. You can see if the unit and, works. So, And hopefully... Uh, some contributors like Mr. Olhorzer here might come up with something to make it actually work. I'm working on stuff <laughs> already. I've got some uh, good ideas to try to make it so it'll be easy to use from basic as well as from machine language and hopefully act like a, a drive wire type so you could just pass a drive wire type commands and have it just do it. 
that would be cool. And then, uh, yeah, of course, I'm pestering the US-9 guys because they don't have anything better to do. Um, so. Bill, Bill graciously volunteered his time to do it. <laughs> so. Exactly. So we're going to have to feed him some Mountain Dews or something. And uh, <laughs> what is his favorite stimulant? <laughs> okay, Ron's Garage has an update. Cool. Oh, you do? Okay, here we go. Okay. Go ahead, Ron. And right. uh, we're getting a lot of wind noise from you, by the way. Oh, I have a hand over my head. Anyway, you need to go to the toilet, Ron. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I took my break. Here's uh, a Target. They had the, all these little games, game machines in little plastic cases. They're pretty cool. Galaga, Space Invaders, Tetris, Pac-Man. And it just, uh, each one of these is like $49 a piece. And I can throw them in my cocoa for free. <laughs> and I did some stuff. Am I still on, or is this? Yeah, you're frozen or anything. This is a <clears throat> cocoa VGA of uh, the SRT Ghoul that uh, Dodge is making. Uh, it's a 1,000 horsepower charger. I thought it was pretty cool. Put it up on uh, high color too, and then. Um, you guys remember Music Match Jukebox? Used to put on your old machines. I, I found my version, put it on. It still works, even on a Windows 10. It was pretty cool. And then I, I found out how I could um, digitize like the Coco did with the DS69. And when I did it with a, um, a camera, I, I got Microsoft Life Live camera, you know. I think the internet stopped. I could have. I yep. think our stream stopped. Yeah, crap. Anyway, zero too long. I still see stuff on iOS buffing on YouTube. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Use it the little latency toggle, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. Yeah, OBS just dropped out. Well, anyways, how I do this is I, um, you know, I video it, set the, um, you know, set, set the contrast way high and screw with the settings and then do a screen capture and then throw it over to a high color, put it on the cocoa. It looks just like the GS69. That's it. High color. Cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a better quality black and white. Yeah. I like being last. And <laughs> 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 when they see me, they know it's over. All right. Any, uh, any other uh, presentations, or is that that it for everybody in the panel? I just want to add, uh, Nick. Nick found a link to the Alice uh, ninety with ah. some more details. I thought I would read out on the air here, just yeah, to kind yeah, of know what the machine was. Sounds good. So uh, we mentioned the thirty-two K and eight K video RAM, which is built in the real keyboard, the direct SCART connector for doing the RGB out. Um, it also had a 16K ROM, so it had the 8K base ROM. It also had an editor assembler built into the other 8K, or at least the editor for it. Um, it was basically the same one megahertz 6803. Now, its video chip um, yeah. 
supported 64 by 32 eight colors, same as the VDG. I also did an 80 by 50 eight color. Yeah. And then in graphics modes, it had 160 by 20, 125, three color, and 320 by 250. It doesn't mention the number of colors on there. It's a um, very high vertical. Yeah. Well, the PAL had a higher vertical than, than NTSC to begin with. So, because it was, it's 575 scan lines or so. I can't well, yeah. Yeah. But did you say it had 80 by 50? You said text. Well, who knows? That could be a, a typo. I'm yeah. Sure. That might, might be, be a by typo because that's very high. <laughs> Sorry, 80 by 50 is a graphics mode, eight color graphics mode. Ah, that's better. Yeah. Text mode is 32 by 16, 40 by 25, 80 by 25. Sorry, Mr. Ah, there you go. Yep. So you had 80 columns built in, and then you had some higher graphics modes. And I think it had the ability to actually overlay external video over the existing chip I saw in another website. So, yeah. Yeah, it's got some pretty, now, pretty interesting uh, capabilities. There was here's... actually a, a sequel plan, too. Yeah. Called the Alice 8000. But that was only made it to the prototype stage, and then you know, metric kind of went under. <laughs> Which uh, brings uh, the uh, issue of why did Tandy not do this? That would have been a good deluxe Coco instead of what they were trying to do. They could have had a chip that was compatible with the old stuff and still had an upgraded video. Right, yeah. a 6809 pushing that chip around might be fun. Yeah, yeah. it looks like this Alice 8000, the prototype one, there's a few prototypes that exist. Apparently, it was when they started trying to shoot for PC compatible, too, because it had two CPUs. It had a, it says a 6850, but I don't know if that's accurate, because it's not a serial chip. Probably um, 16050. Yeah, maybe. 68000-based one. Yeah, and an 8088 added, so dual CPU. They also were planning on putting in uh, up to dual floppy drives with a monitor into a single case, kind of like a Model 3 style. What does it say? What year that was being worked on? Uh, eighty-four to eighty-five is when the prototypes were made. Never got past the prototype All stage. Right. Did you? That post was the about link? when. Sorry, was that Mark? Did uh, you post the link? Um, it's on the Wayback Machine, but I can post it in the <laughs> chat because you know Nick yes. does not use you know chats that he can actually see. <laughs> no, so. that's right. I haven't had to think all this time. Why should I start now? <laughs> Why has been that three stooges line about try to think, but nothing happens? Yeah. <laughs> I have that actually. I think on the OU is one of the sound samples in the sound directory. <laughs> I just wanted to kind of add that in because it was kind of interesting to, to get more details. And in fact, there was another sequel past that one that was planned but never came out. Anyway, okay. if there's no other presentations to do, I don't know if we have anything else. I don't know if we need to do uh, you know, another ad and then wrap up final thoughts. I don't know if there's any final thoughts except the internet sucks today. It's part of the show coming up. <laughs> yeah, why don't we just go ahead and just uh, do the outro and I can change this banner to 300 baud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Optimist. <laughs> right. <laughs> This concludes another episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. 
consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click on the Patreon link on our website, cocotalk.live. Coco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Alan Murphy, Bill Noble, Brian Joyce, Brian Weasler, Curtis Boyle, D. Bruce Moore, Danny O'Connor, David Ladd, Eric Canales, Grant Levy, James Diffendaffer, Jason Reichert, Jim Brain, Ken Reichert, Mark Bosley, Mark Overholzer, Mikey Furman, Mr. Dave6309, Nick Morentes, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Nick Morota, Paul Fiscarelli, Richard Lorbieski, Rick Adams, Rick Eulin, Rob Inman, Ron Delvoe, Samuel Gimes, Sloopy Malibu, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, Tom C., and many more. Please help support the Coco community. A list of various contributors and resources are available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The original Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. The new Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2020 by D. Bruce Moore. Both are mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Coco forever, people! Okay, the tail end now. The caboose, barely there. I think yeah. the caboose is going to fall I don't think we'll you know, extrapolate too long in that because you know the bandwidth is going all over the place, and we don't want to you know, cut it off again in the middle of the ending. So <laughs> <laughs> well, we could have a six segment show. So I will just say we'll see you all next week. Thanks for uh, you know maybe handling that- all the crap we had to go through with the bandwidth problems here. Uh, we will. It. We did have a local recording, so we will be posting a, a cleaned-up version that doesn't have all the stutters and stops, hopefully. And uh, we'll see you all next week. And we David, did you have a good day today? Why, yes, I did, Nick. <laughs> Would you like to join me for some excitement? <sighs> Not at all. Okay, that's it. My day's <laughs> complete now. <laughs> oh, okay. you're most welcome, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. See you next Bye, week. Everybody. Hopefully, the bandwidth problem. Bye, everybody. Good, good, good. Bye. Where's that off button? It's still stuck on red. Yeah, the funny thing is, I was watching on Twitch where you guys were doing that jerky thing, and I can't tell if that was literal or not. So. <laughs> Uh, for a while, we were at ninety percent dropped frames. Sweet. In fact, it still hasn't even. I don't. It still hasn't even. Ah! Stop! 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 It still hasn't stopped recording. Or something here. What do you record it locally, or do you record it over the net somewhere? Uh, we're still recording OBS. locally. Okay, good. So let me go ahead and stop that. Yeah, OBS. OBS lets you record.